coming soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creep Show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream, ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Bell. Creepshow will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. Oh, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creep Show. The most fun you'll ever have being scared. Everybody sit down, quiet down, listen up. I brought you all here to recite the annual obituaries. Like every year, we'll start with A and we'll end with Z. All right, is the band ready? Ready. All right, hit it, Boils. A one and a two. He's the camel who drowned in a pool. B is for Billy who was eaten by cool. C is for Kerr with disease of the brain. D is for Daniel derailed on a train. E is for Eric who's buried alive. M is for Frank who was stabbed through the eye. G is for Greg who died in the womb. H is for Hannah. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It is uh, six minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 and this, the month of January in the year of our Lord, 2000. 
and 9. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your broadcasting day. We are, uh... We are uh, here in the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The talker, this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Cattle Cave of Amusements. We thank you for joining us. It is Thursday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to be uh, part of today's uh, program in any fashion, uh, manner, form. If you'd offer any function that we might find amusing, you can uh, join us. It's 503-733-2970. Can you turn me down ever so slightly? Thank you. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the absurd, uh, or, you know, whatever. It's 503-733-2970. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today wins a fantastic, and I do mean fantastic, uh, collectible vinyl statue from Things from Another World. These are the Star Wars Collectible Edition vinyl statues from Things from Another World. You can find out more if you go to Things from Another World's website. That is T-F-A-W, like Things from Another World, T-F-A-W.com slash Rick. T-F-A-W.com slash Rick. Uh, you can buy them online there, too. If you just if you don't want the fickle finger of fate to determine your, uh, your prize winning, you just buy them right there, 75% off. You also go to the uh, physical locations of the stores. Tell me you heard on the Rick Emerson Show, 70% off. Today's giveaway is, I think today's a, uh, today's a clone trooper. Today's giveaway a clone trooper, but also, that's not the most exciting thing. You know what the most exciting thing is? You go to rickemerson.com right now, you can see a photo with us. Today we'll be announcing the glorious bastard of the week. It could be you. You're going to win this 30th anniversary Luke versus Darth statue. It's like $200. It's unbelievably cool. Uh, by the way, it's, it's, what, it's what Zinn has at the front desk that everybody's been talking about. You go to the front desk where Dave Zinn is the gatekeeper up there. He's sort of uh, separating the wheat from the chaff throughout the day. It's the, uh, it's the statue that Dave Zinn has right next to his computer up at the front desk here at CBS Radio Portland on First Avenue. It's unbelievable. It's like a $200 statue set. Anyway, so it's the 30th anniversary uh, Lou and Darth. So that's today. That's the glorious bastard of the week. All right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We'd like to be uh, part of the program. You can also email. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T at 970.am. So one of those goes out to the Glorious Bastard of the Week and uh, another one of those, uh, the, 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 uh, the clone trooper that goes out to one random on-air caller today. All right. Much to get to. And I'm just saying that because I know sort of inside that it's true. If I were to have to list the things we're getting to today, I don't know that I could do that at this moment. Because I'm running a little behind. And here's the thing you got to know about me running behind today. As uh, Arthur Dent once said, I never could get the hang of Thursdays. It's always Thursdays. And I know that's a thing that we've discussed ad nauseum on this program. But I, there's something about... There's something about Thursdays that just, I just, I've been never quite able to make the best use of my time. I'm never able to operate with sort of peak efficiency. Uh, I actually got here today at 6, no, I got here at 7.05. So I actually have already been here. I mean, I know a lot, a lot of people get up early and they go to work and whatever, so it's not like I'm the only person who's doing that. I'm just saying I've been here since 7 o'clock this morning, and yet... Oh, why? You know what I haven't... Well, Sarah, because I'm creating entertainment for the people, which is a 24-hour job. No, seriously, why? Because I'm creating, because I wanted to interview Tom Savini, the only time I could do it was 7.30, which is sort of creating entertainment for the people and also for me. Um, I woke up early this morning, too. 
I, uh, what was it, by choice or because you had to? No, just by choice because I have that Portland Music Awards thing today, so I got up early to really, I got up early to wash my hair so I can, like, take time to, like, blow dry it and straight. Because I have to, like, book it right after the show to get there. I like the idea that you had to set aside special time to wash your hair, which indicates that that's not really a, th- a thing for which time no, it's typically just, set aside. No, it has to look, like, really good because usually I'll just wash it at night and then, you know, I'll sleep on it and it gets all wonky and, like, right. sticking up in weird places. But, I mean, if I'm going to take time to try and make it look nice, it takes, you know, like, 20 minutes to blow dry it. You know what I wish somebody would do? I wish there would be some sort of a scientific analysis into the bad hair day. And And, and when I say in the bad hair day, I don't mean that in the overall. I mean... There are specific things that will go wrong with your hair, and I don't care who you are. I don't care how much or how little hair you got. If it's long, if it's short, man, woman, doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile, we all have these problems. Where you will go to sleep and you will wake up in the next, you know, morning, and it doesn't. Sometimes you, sometimes it is as, as though uh, it, your own hair has been removed, and they put like wacky novelty hair that they purchased out of the back of a comic book on your head. Uh, I got this whole thing, and this happened to me this morning. Like, right over here, I got this big cowlick that was sticking out. And it's like, no matter what you do, I actually, not as bad as it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I would get these sort of cowlicks in my hair, and I swear to you, I could actually go take a full-on shower, and it would still, it would it would just resist any any sort of attempts to, to, to straighten it and to get it down. I mean, it would just be sticking out at some weird angle. I looked like Dagwood Bumstead. <laughs> anyway. No, I have a cowlick in the front of my hair, like where my bangs are right here. Mm-hmm. And every, every, um... Like day when I wash my hair, I have to brush it back and forth to try and get the cowlick to. Because it's trying to because it's because trying it's to make like you look a bad. little bumped up. So I mean, I have like you know my bangs over it, but it completely is bent the other direction. Hair with a mind of its own is mm-hmm. what that is, Sarah. Um, in any event, so you know sometimes it's like uh, sometimes your hair's all frizzy. Something. How about this? Uh, and this is a thing probably happens more to guys than to women because guys typically have shorter hair. You know, the guys. You know, you have your short hair, and you kind of whatever you put, the, whatever your hair product of, of you know of the day is, you put it in your hair. You go, you kind of like work it through your hair, and then you just sort of arrange your hair in whatever the you know the general sort of shape you want. But there are certain days where it's like no matter what you're going to do, it just all clumps together into one into one sort of small coagulated pile of hair, and you can't really get it to do. You can't really get the hair to sort of. Uh, you know, you can't really get the hair to spread out and to really, to really, you know, to have any amount of body to it. This is the gayest conversation. We're going to quit talking about this. You, but you know what I'm talking about. No. Well, hence the reason why I didn't want to go to sleep last night with wet hair. All right. All right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying sometimes it's like my hair wants to make me look like Ed Grimley. That's really the point. Uh, where it all just, it's, it's like it all just wants to cinch up into one big ball in the middle of my head. I'm going to move on. The point is that I, Sarah, got up this morning to come in early so I could do that Tom Savini interview. Well, that um, is very exciting for you. Well, we'll see. I don't know that it turned out very well. <laughs> oh, no. James Robinson is in the other room trying to fix it. Fix it? Yeah, there was some fixing. And it had to be done. We'll see if that was successful. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us uh, from the Hill. Uh, we'll also talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum is going to join us from New York City. Apparently, yes, consumer confidence at an all-time low. Uh, also, unemployment, all-time high. Unemployment filings, all-time high. Uh, layoffs, all-time high. Hiring, all-time low. I'm just saying. Uh, so we'll talk to Lisa about that. we got Steve coming up. Uh, we will talk to uh, Dorothy Casaseri from the National Enquirer. She'll be joining us today in the 1 o'clock hour. Our good friend Dave Schmitke will be stepping in, helping us out with the news today. Uh, we'll spend 
A few quiet moments of reflection with Dennis Pitsenberger. Uh, Dan Hanico from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Our good friend Dan is going to be in the studio with us. He is going to bring, uh, uh, I don't know if it's an actual top five. It may just be sort of a, there's a list that we read in no, no real order. Uh, he is going to be talking about classic trash. Uh, classic trashy novels. Trashy because it didn't just start with uh, vampires and forks. So uh, we'll be talking about some of the great bad books of all time. Uh, uh, let's see. What else do we have coming up today? Seems like I... Is somebody else joining us today? Jen Lane is going to be in the Jen studio Lane's for a few minutes? Yep. All right. Jen Lane. Oh, oh, oh. And finally, uh, hey, I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday, but somebody named their child after me. Oh, so, uh, Richie, before I do anything else, I'm going to hand you this contact info. Uh, today, we are going to speak with... Um, we are going to speak with Desi, I believe. Yes. We are going to speak with Desi... Uh, who is the proud mother of, and we won't use their last name, we'll say Desi is the proud mother of Emerson Ava. It was her new child. Little little Emerson was just born. Uh, and uh, so I emailed them last night. I said, hey, uh, you have to come on and talk about this. So she's going to uh, join us. I'm going to hand you this. And by the way, just FYI, she did pass along her home phone number with this note at the bottom. Here is my number, Rick. Uh, uh, I look forward to being on the show today. Please tell Richie to lose my number before Emerson turns 18. There you go. There you go. Thanks Gee, so much. Thanks. Oh, there you go. So um, we're going to talk to her right around 1130. All right. That's fantastic. All right. All right. Uh, it's 503 because really, I mean, let's be honest. I know that I mentioned it like 100 times yesterday, but there's only so many times in your life that you really get to uh, have this kind of a discussion. So we'll find out exactly what chain of events went on in her head that led her to, yes, name her child after me. I need to do some sort of Went a memo. spiraling of events in her life. <laughs> That's you who said that. I didn't say that. I think I need to send out some sort of a memo to everyone at CBS to make them aware of this glorious news. And then maybe have Dave do some sort of a... Wait, hold on. I think Dave needs to make an announcement inside the office, just like over the uh, loudspeaker. What? Yeah. I'm calling to buy advertising. Well, good morning, Rick. Hello, Dave Zinn. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Did I give you that Friday the 13th documentary this morning? Yes, you I did. Thank you so much. Morning's a bit of a blur. Uh, yeah, that's hosted by Tom Savini. You know we're going to be talking to him today. I'm very excited. Right. Could you give me an approximate time you'll be running that interview? Well, i got to see if James can fix it. He's in the other room trying to make it listenable. Um, hey, but on a totally different note, more about me. Uh, would it be possible for you to make over the uh, over the intercom system here? Uh, you know, you've got that thing on your phone where you can press it and you can speak to everybody in the building at once, like V for Vendetta style. Uh, would it be possible for you to just uh, make an announcement to everyone here at CBS Radio Portland First Avenue uh, that someone named their child after me, Rick Emerson? Uh, could you repeat the name to uh, Emerson? Emerson Ava. How should we phrase Ava. this announcement? Emerson Ava, as in uh, A-V-A, as in, uh, uh, you know, like Ava Gardner. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, so listeners, Desi and Mike, did name uh, their newly born child Emerson after me, Rick Emerson, host of the Rick Emerson Show. Are you trying show. to get him to say this over? Yes. No problem. Yes, I am. Are you serious? Dave, don't do it. So don't do just... it. He just did this for four hours yesterday. Could he be more full of himself? You're just encouraging him. Dave, don't listen to the haters. So, Dave, some admit. people don't know how to appreciate the joy of children. Dave, Dave, what has Rick Emerson done for you? 
Uh, he let me borrow a DVD. This morning I gave him... So he bribed you because he knew he was going to be calling you to well, ask if you'd do this. I, res I resent the characterization of that as a bribe, Sarah. You Dunn. know that you were... Dave, you and I had such a bonding talk this morning over face-to-face. -face. I need to be honest with you over the fact that you were being manipulated. You know, Dave, that DVD... By one Rick Emerson. That DVD I lent you this morning doesn't even come out for another week. You couldn't buy it if you wanted to. I gave it to you this morning to watch. Borrow hey. it before you can buy it. That's what I'm Dave, saying. Dave, if you don't say it, I also have a copy of the DVD here. That it, I mean, a legally obtained copy of um, the day the Earth. Now, itself. why are you trying to stop Dave from making an announcement about Which the birth of a child? I would be more than happy to give to you. Why? Why are you trying to stop spreading the joy about children? Because you're spreading your evil, Rick. It's not evil, Sarah. It's uh, it is simply an announcement that another child has joined the human parade. You have a microphone in front of your face for four hours a day. You made the announcement many times. But there are up, there are people upstairs who probably didn't hear it, and you know they need to know as well. So, Dave, just at some point today, just like an all-building page, and just say, uh, we would like to take a moment. Rick. You know, here's the thing. People love children. People love Rick Emerson. This, best <laughs> of all worlds. So, Richie, help me out here. So, Dave, just truck. at some point today, uh, just an all-building page uh, where you say, hey, CBS Radio uh, is pleased to announce uh, that uh, listeners Desi and Mike have, in fact, named their newborn child uh, after Rick Emerson. I would love to, and I hope this is the first of many children that will be named after your namesake. Well, I think we're starting something here, Dave, and I, uh, I think it's going to continue. Sounds All right. good. All right, thank you. Enjoy that DVD. Thank you so right. much. Thanks. Bye. Excellent. Sarah's got a truck named after her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sarah got a pickup truck. You should have her drive it over here and then make an announcement for everybody to go to the parking lot and look at her. Also, That's it was, my baby truck. It was revealed that a listener named their ferret after me as well, so good things are afoot. Hello, Sarah Dillon. How are you today? Hello. You're so annoying. How? I, you know, I'm in a perfectly pleasant mood. I'm, I'm no, you're not. You're crazy, I can tell. Because you know what? I can, I can tell when you're being crazy because you want even more attention than you usually do. Wow. That really is saying something. It is something. true. That's the nuclear I know, option of I comments. know you well enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, how many times do you get to say something like this? Not very often. Look, I mean, when am I going to get to do this and not actually that's have true, to I have a like, kid? That's true. I guess the novelty of it has worn off since, you know, somebody named a kid after Tim and I so long ago. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, and it, so it's old, it's old hat to you, Sarah. But, I mean, really, unless you yourself decide to just go have a kid, you don't really get the chance to do this sort of a thing. So, I mean, when am I going to have a chance to have a kid named after me without actually having to reproduce? Just find someone who's pregnant and become really, really good friends with them so much so that they, <laughs> that they feel like you, they've in, you've inspired them enough to... Right. Well, I did that without actually even having to meet them. So I did it over the phone so they can't try to hit me up for child support. All right. Well, in any event. Uh, so uh, how was your evening? It was really fun. I, um, what did you do yesterday? Oh, went and saw my shrink. Then um, I'm actually knocking it back to only seeing... I. I Mentally, I guess I'm better. Now, have we, now which, I think we've talked about this, you have more than one person you see in yes. the area of mental health? Yes. Um, well, no, I only see, I've only seen, actually, I don't have more than one person I see. I've seen another person once, and then I just see this woman now. And have we ever drawn the distinction on the air between the two? No. Okay, well, we don't have to. Yep. Uh, so you have two different shrinks for two different things. And so this is the uh, the shrink you saw yesterday is the, the one you see most often. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. Actually, the other one isn't a shrink. It's the it, it was the um so Ben to see you know the psychiatrist who like can prescribe medication to see whether or not you know I need to be doing that. So I don't see her. Okay. But I do see the shrink uh, just to talk to her about you know childhood angst and how girls were you know mean to me and you know. All so you have a therapist and a prescriber. Yeah. Yesterday was the therapist. Yes. All right. And. Uh, so I went to my therapist yesterday, and yeah, and she's just like, okay. And it was one of those things where you show up, and I'm just like, 
I don't really have anything to talk about. And she's right. like, that's a good sign. And so... Yes, I did that yesterday. Then got my nails did. But wait, but wait, no, we can't. You can't. Move, you can't move oh. forward that quickly. So, the, thank you. You go to the. Thank you. Honey. We can't move forward this quickly. So you, uh, so you go to the shrink and you said that you don't have anything to talk about, but you've already paid for it. So no, no, no you... I've already paid for it. But I mean, so you know, because you go like once a week while you're like going, you know, through any right. kind of whatever. And so what did you do? Nothing. Play mahjong. Yeah, we wouldn't. Um, I don't know. She's she's rad. Like we'll sit there and just talk about anything. She so sat there and shot the s, and she's like sitting there knitting, and I'm because uh, I go and see her at her house, and so she's dogs, so I'm just like sitting there and playing with her dogs. So we we delved into a little bit of the um, like childhood issues, but then that was really about it. And she's just like, you know, I don't. She's like, I think you're doing a lot better. Were you feeling like you had to come up with at least something that's, yesterday that's because you're I, sitting there? No, that's why I told her because I'm honest enough with her. I'm just like, I don't really have anything to talk to you about. I'm like, because I mean, the end, none of my business how much it costs, but it's like however much it is. It's like if you go on some day and you're like, I just. I don't feel like there's anything I need to talk about. Well, thankfully, our insurance actually covers a certain amount of it. So, I mean, so basically, I don't have any copay or anything. So, really, it's CBS just... is eating that, not you. Yeah. So, I mean, I just get to go in there and, well you know, done. talk to a very, like, calm lady. She's, is she yeah. hot? Yeah, she's beautiful. She's hilarious, too. She's, <sighs> um, we're very similar, actually, which is kind of weird, except for, um, I don't know, she, she tells me, like, stories when she was, like, a wild child in the 60s and, like, going to Woodstock and stuff. You got to be really uh, leery of the shrink, though. This is in my experience. You got to be careful, and it's almost always female shrinks. You got to be leery of the female shrink who will eat up the entire hour's time telling you stories about herself. I know, and she doesn't do that for the record. Like she, like she talks, she likes to talk about herself a bit, but not too much. Because all, all right. of a sudden she'll be like, "Well, that's funny," because we have a lot of like comparable situations in our lives. Even though she's like, you know, sixty and I'm twenty-eight. Right. right. But she's super rad. So anyway, did that. Got my nails did, and then went over to my friend's house for dinner and um, wine and watched Lost. Okay, so we'll, we should do a Lost recap later on. we got a yeah, whole bunch of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, Paddock and I were already talking about this morning. Like, okay, right. he needs to come in and talk uh, about I mean, there's, already, there's just too much stuff going on today. Too many things, too many things, too many things. All right, hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Excited. Why? Because of Poison Waters. Oh, yeah, so is this confirmed? Can we announce this? Yes, next All Friday. Right. Uh, this Friday? Next Friday. So not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Next. tomorrow. All right. Next. Uh, so, uh, yeah, as you know, we've been uh, having a series of laid-off Portland media professionals fill in for laid-off Portland media professional Tim Riley. And recently, so we had uh, Stacy Wilson had been at the Portland Monthly, and that went poorly. But um, b- someone else was recently let go when we heard about it from a lot of people. Storm emailed me about it. Byron emailed me about it. And Poison Waters, which is the drag name of I forget his I forget his Kevin his, Kevin his real life name, but so Kevin who also performs uh, in drag at, as uh, uh, as Poison Waters worked at Portland Monthly and just got let go about two weeks ago. So Kevin slash Poison Waters is going to be joining us next uh, Friday, not tomorrow, but next Friday. Uh, Portland drag icon Poison Waters will be in the studio with us next Friday, so be listening for that. Yay! Right. I'm getting a new gown this weekend, too. Really? Is this because of the Oscars thing? Yeah. It's coming up? All right, okay. Well, we'll talk more about that. So, do you want to get... Um I have to get a fill like in a couple weeks. So do you want to come with me? Oh, you yes. can get acrylic nails too. Oh, definitely. So we'll be talking. Well, can you fight with acrylic nails? No, I can't. Oh. So we'll be talking more about this as, as time goes on. But uh, in February, uh, uh, Sarah Dillon, Richie Bristol, Tim Riley, and myself, all four of us, uh, will be reunited on the red carpet. And it feels so good. <laughs> yes. 
All four of us will be uh, reunited, uh, as, as, and we will be uh, hosting and headlining uh, part of the festivities anyway at uh, at a huge Oscar I- uh, night event, which is going to be happening in Portland. I won't be there. We're talking more about that. <gasps> I'm sorry, Rochelle. Oh no, will be you're there. right. You won't be there. I'm sorry, no, I won't be there. Rochelle will be Rochelle's going to fill in yeah. for you. Okay. All right. On that note, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We'll take a break, Ricky. Uh, Ricky, Richie, during the break, can you track down? You've talked about yourself too much. Now calling the for Ricky. <laughs> can you uh, can you get a hold of the proud mother? Uh, they're attached to that phone number, and uh, we'll have her come on in the next break. We'll talk to Lisa Desjardins after that. Coming up at noon, Dave Schmidtke will be here later on. Uh, Dennis Pitsenbarger, Jen Lane, Dan Hanico from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, and quite possibly my interview with horror makeup icon Tom Savini. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> Sort of that out. <laughs> Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. During the break, I'm doing my best to uh, construct my show matrix here. That was the other thing throwing me up. Chris Paddock accused me of being surly. He did. Sir, that is an insult. I don't think it was even accusing. He just flat out told you. It's like a statement. <laughs> um, I don't mean to be surly. Uh, I... Uh, I didn't even realize you didn't have your show matrix. Well, that explains a lot. I seriously don't know what it is. And I'm not going to ask everybody to spend a lot of time thinking about this with me. But just as I said, there are bad hair days. Um, that's not why I'm surly, by the way, if I am. <laughs> it, it, there are just Thursdays are a day that I don't function well. And I probably already asked you this, but is there a specific day where you just... It, 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 not that every one of those days is bad, but if there's a day of the week that is more likely... To be I, bad. I don't want to be cliche, but I have to say Monday. Really? Because it, it throws me off because I've spent all weekend, you know, sleeping in and staying out late and stuff. And then my body has to finally readjust on Monday. Yeah, I so always feel a little off. Recalibrating. Yeah. yeah. So see, for me, it's Thursday. It's always happening. So I've been, here for, I've been here since 7 o'clock this morning. I came in today. Literally a blank page for the show. Not that there isn't stuff we're doing. I just haven't a chance to write any of it down. So... Anyway, and then, you know, I get up early, my caffeine intake is all thrown off, and then this Tom Savini interview that I did, that I'm really happy with it, went to listen back to it. Here's what the interview sounded like, and James Robinson is doing a yeoman's job of fixing it, but the, the finished interview with, you know, horror legend Tom Savini is me going, so, and of course, I'm, I, I, I sound like... And you have that morning voice? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like five octaves lower, because it's morning, but I'm like, so Tom Savini, thanks for joining us on the Rick Emerson Show. Um, uh... Tell me what it was like to work with Kevin Bacon in Friday the 13th. That's my part. And then when Tom Savini answers me, he's like, Crystal Lake. That's it. Which I didn't realize at the time. Listening back to totally unintelligible. It's like he's answering, and it was my fault. Not his fault at all. Totally my fault for setting up the equipment wrong. Uh, so it's like Tom Savini is answering me through uh, the speakerphone at a Burger King drive-in. It's going to be a lot of fun. So James Robinson is, as we speak, endeavoring to make that interview listenable. We'll, uh, James uh, Robinson is a master. I bet he could do it. We'll see if it works. All right. But you know what? I can't be too down. You know why? Someone named their child after me. Uh, and I think you may be hearing an announcement to that effect over the CBS uh, loudspeakers at some point today. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, half of Desi and Mike, shrewd parents, uh, to be sure. Uh, is this Desi? Yes, it is. Hi, Desi. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Rick? I am. Uh, I'm fantastic, although apparently a little bit surly, but that's okay. I'm working through it. Well, your hair's good, right? Well, you know. Oh. I mean, I, well, there's, look, here's the thing. Is it more of it than there used to be? So I'll take that. I'll take that as a wash. 
Having a bad hair day means you can have a hair day. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, I'm not going to complain too loudly. Okay. All right. Um, so let's back up a moment. So about, uh, I don't know, seven months ago, uh, somebody who sent in uh, something that had their kid was named Dylan Riley. And and I honestly now cannot remember whether the kid was named after Sarah Dillon I, and Tim Riley. I don't think so. I think it was just a coincidence. See, I think they said it was a coincidence, and I'm not saying they consciously did it, but the law of averages would seem to indicate that a listener to this show having a baby and then naming that baby Dylan Riley, it seems like at least it was sort of subconsciously informing their decision. I mean, even if they didn't really sit down to do it. So, But at that point, I began complaining rather loudly, as only I can, about something that doesn't really matter to anybody which is kind of what I do. Uh, it is my leitmotif. And I said, well, nobody's ever named a baby after me, Rick Emerson. And so my voice leaves my mouth, goes into the microphone, goes through all the wiring, goes out to the transmitter, goes out into the air, goes down into your radio, into the speaker, out into the room, and into your ears, Desi. And what do you do? I thought that I didn't like the name Rick. <laughs> well, that wasn't really the answer I was, that was the looking answer I was for looking there. For. Uh, no, honestly, we were looking for a gender-neutral name. Um, being that it was so early in the pregnancy, there's really nothing that you can do not knowing the sex of the baby. And so was it, was it that you didn't want to – did you find out at some point during the pregnancy, or did you wait until it was all like a surprise? We found out okay. later on. All right. Yeah. Um, and so I was looking for a gender-neutral name, and um, I like the name Emerson. And so did you, uh, I mean, was it your decision alone? Did you have to pitch it to your man? Oh, yes. Yes. And he, um, surprisingly enough, liked it for a girl but not a boy. Well, see, but I think a lot of people have said that to me because I've been, I don't know if you're aware of this, I've been telling a few people uh, here at CBS and, in fact, everywhere about this glorious event. And every single one of them said the same thing. They've all said, well, Emerson, and I don't know how to feel about this, frankly. They all say, yeah, Emerson's a much better name for a girl than for a boy. And then they just kind of look at me. So... But but so he was. A, did you have to? Was to take any convincing on the name, or was he receptive to the, the idea like right off? Um, surprisingly enough, he just kind of sat there and looked at me, and I thought it was a no go. And then he said, "I like it for a girl." Now I have to ask this: When you suggested the name Emerson to your husband uh, to name your uh, your you know your future daughter, I mean, did you tell him where the? I mean, like, did he know it was Emerson, as in Rick Emerson, or did you, did he think you just took the name out of a book somewhere? Oh, he knew. He knew. All right. So he wasn't weirded out by that. Uh, no. All right then. I I think that uh, I think this is a uh, I think this is a good thing. So um, um, I'm just juggling all these thoughts in my head. So you fast forward, and that's what seven months ago, something like that. Uh, the baby is born, and then uh, Emerson Ava and Ava comes from some some place else, probably. Where does that come from? I don't know, honestly. Um, when we found out it was a girl, we were still in the ultrasound room, and he said, "I like Ava." All right. And the only reason I ask, by the way, about the Ava business... Ava is such a cute name. Ava is a wonderful name. And the only reason I ask about the uh, about your husband knowing that the Emerson, uh, the name came from me is, I'm sure you have a wonderful, very stable relationship. It's just, I, you know, guys can be a little weird about that kind of a thing. And so it's just the, uh, you know, just the omnipresent, uh, just the omnipresent aura of another man always lurking around. So, but you know what? I'm, uh, I'm just glad to be involved in any level. So... Okay. I don't want to burst your bubble, but... Yeah, you don't float over our marital bed or anything. <laughs> no, because awesome. that would make me like that. Uh, that would make me like that specter that hangs above uh, Dan Aykroyd in the montage sequence in Ghostbusters. Nobody wants to be that. All right. Um, well, anyway, congratulations. And you sent along a photo, which of course I will have the I will have the good taste not to post that photo because um, you probably don't want pictures of your uh, 
of your delightful child uh, posted on my website where it's going to be sandwiched between like a Battlestar Galactica thing and like a horrible cannibal story. So, so I will not do that. But, um, but congratulations again. Thank you. And, uh, and the best of, uh, continued, uh, life and health and happiness, uh, to you and to your husband, Mike, uh, and to, uh, little Emerson Ava. And by the way, at what point, when she asks, like, so why am I named Emerson? Are you going to, like, uh, come up with some fake story, or are you going to give her the straight dope about it? You know, I'm not quite sure. I have told a couple of people that um, it's your last name, mm-hmm. and I get blank stares. So I think I might I might be reverting back to the, as much as I hit it, I might have to say, because Terry Hatcher named her daughter Emerson. And that is true. I know that Terry Hatcher did that. You could also, here's, if you want to look intelligent, uh, you know, when you do about it, as opposed to, like, you know, just sort of like Superman. Uh, if you, in other words, you don't want to go geek. You want to go literature. You mm-hmm. can actually say, well, it was because of uh, it was because of famed philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson. Exactly. All right. There you go. I give you permission to lie, you know, in those situations. Okay. All right. Well, Desi, again, congratulations to, to all of you. And uh, now my glory will live on to the next generation. Okay, great. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right, there you go. Thanks, Desi. Uh, I'm sorry, I almost just threw up reading this story. I'm sorry, Richie. Can you uh, can you grab uh, the line there? And make sure that everything is uh, is cool with Desi. I know you can hear. Oh, thank you very much. All right. Uh, so Sarah just uh, nearly threw up reading a story. Maybe I shouldn't look at it just now. No, I think you printed it because I didn't. Okay. In yeah. any event, hey, did you hear that woman that we just had on the show? Okay. You know what she did? They had a baby. She's going to lie to her friends about why she named it after me. By the way, the idea also that she doesn't think Rick is a very good name. She's like, Rick, that doesn't work. And then. You don't. Your ghost doesn't float over her marital bed. No, I don't float above her marital bed. Also, uh, when she mentions uh, me to her friends, there's the sort of the baby's name. She just gets blank stares. So that's good. And then also, she's now devised a cover story that she's going to use. She's actually will then lie to them. So that's okay. You know what? (laughs) It still matters here inside. Yes. That's fantastic. All right, it's 503-733-2970. We now welcome to the Rick Emerson Radio Program, CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you? Hey, hello, how's it going? It's going fantastically. <laughs> wow, huzzah. Zoodaloors. Oh, you know what? I, I give a, you know, my friends told me that I actually say that, and I didn't believe them, and then I just said it. Huzzah? Huzzah. Yeah, because I type it, and I said, no, I only type that. I don't ever say that, but it turns out I do say it. Huzzah is a really fantastic word. Isn't it a great word? Yeah. You know what I started saying out loud for about six months after I read Bridget Jones's diary? I started saying, hurrah. Which is sort of, I think, I think that is a, the, the, sort of a British version of hooray. I think hooray is an American uh, pronunciation, but I think, it, 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 you know, but it originally derives from, I guess, hurrah, which is sort of an yes. exclamation uh, of the British uh, style. So I briefly, I briefly tried to get people to start saying mini break after I read that, but no, everybody's like, we don't go on mini breaks. Can I, can I tell you this? Here's, um, here's something else I did. And by the way, everybody who doesn't think I ought to be reading Bridget Jones' diary, you can just uh, eat one. Oh, that is a fantastic. It's a fantastic book yes i read it while here's how here's how unmanly i am i read it while unemployed uh no no no. in fact i wasn't even unemployed i read bridget jones's diary uh during slack moments and there were many of them when i was working graveyard shift at a 7-eleven in southern california oh that is great but then i would balance it out by reading copies of maxim off the stands so (laughs) because i don't carry porn anymore so the maxim was the best i could do right maxim right yeah you know any port in a storm so uh Anyway, so, uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, uh, Bridget Jones' Diary. So after uh, reading Bridget Jones' Diary, because it really is this great sort of 
It's this great sort of occasionally stilted writing style that Helen Fielding uses in that book. And she will, my wife went through a phase of instead of saying very good, she would just put V good for everything. Um, yes. But one of the things that I have picked up from the, from Bridget Jones's diary, the book, and that I, and that I, I now do not only uh, when I write, but I do it out loud as well. I do it with my verbal communications is I will actually work in specific things such as, uh, in manner of, uh, for example, when I'm comparing something else, I'll say, well, we'll need, uh, you know, some guest to talk about this, some guest in manner of Bob Novak, but not old and crazy. <laughs> Uh, or I will say this: somebody like Sarah saying, hey, "I'm going to the Sarah will go to the convenience store across the street." And Sarah say, "I'm going to the uh, plaid pantry. Do you need anything?" And I'll say, "Well, um, yeah, I don't need anything to drink, but maybe like a, uh, I don't know, maybe like a protein bar or similar." And the and the or similar is a thing that comes directly from Bridget Jones's diary. You know, I had never thought until this moment, but you're right. There's a ton of like my my brain. I had got new verbal brain cells from that book. Yeah. All final thing, and this is a thing I now only say to my dog because I don't have any actual kids. <laughs> so a thing I say to my dog, even though I don't ever follow through on this threat, is whenever and it's Philo. Whenever Philo is is misbehaving, he's acting badly or destroying something valuable. I will come and I will give him the strong because you know you don't you don't physically punish the dog, but you give him a strong verbal warning. And then I follow it up with something that one of Bridget Jones's friends was always screaming uh, in the background of phone calls. I will discipline Philo strongly, and then I will set him down somewhere, and then I'll look at him and I'll say, "Mummy will smack." <laughs> and then that's it. And then and then I put on a dress and uh, and I go play uh, you know and I go play shuffleboard. <laughs> that's outstanding. Jesus, I like that very much. You no, know, gee, Christ, it's no wonder my dad thought I was gay. I mean, really, come on, let's just. Did he really? Do you have a big conversation about that? It wasn't a big conversation. It was one. I mean, it was. Let me put it this way: it was just a series of ongoing observations. It was one long, drawn-out <laughs> conversation for many years in my household. Do you so. want a gay son? Was he kind of pushing you in that direction? Oh, no. Let's let's let me just answer that with a one syllable. No. Okay. My father and I had a relationship that could best be compared to that of Hank Hill and Bobby Hill. Oh, nice! Wow. It, but except, but with, but without that thing at the end of the episode where Hank says, you know, well, Bobby, I may not understand your desire to put on a to put on a you know a soft soft shoe dance routine, but you're still my son and I love you. It, <laughs> like if you remove all of the happy yeah. endings and just string together all of the sequences uh, where Hank finds Bobby doing something embarrassing and effeminate, uh, and then just sort of shakes his head and goes out into the garage and drinks. Those are just the most awkward. It's the the whole gay thing is very awkward for people kind of are this middle generation because you know we're pretty cool with it, but our parents were definitely not, right. and very awkward. Yeah, my dad. I lived I lived with um, two gay guys at one point. For some reason, my dad thought that meant very likely that I was gay <laughs> <laughs> because I that's how it works with two gay men, right? And he was so. It was so painful the conversation that he how he finally got around to asking me and it, it just I didn't even understand what he was talking about for a while and then finally I was like are you asking me if I'm gay and well I you know I do oh, yes no see my and there was no my my dad never it's funny we started this hour by talking about Sarah's uh, shrink session yesterday and now we've just <laughs> fallen into my shrink session with you Lisa so <laughs> no my dad never even bothered to ask he just sort of it, you know what it was here's the thing is uh, my dad never came out and said like look. <laughs> Look, if you're, if you're the gay, just tell me. Are you? Come on. <laughs> Question marks in it, my head. Right? It, but there was there was none of that. It's like my dad's attitude implied. Here, here's how it was. He clearly believed. It was like he'd figured it out before anybody else, including me. It was sort of like he... Oh, oh, that's even worse. It was one of those things where he, like, sort of Hercule Poirot style. 
right. had put together all the clues and was just waiting for me to come to the realization so that he could then officially, you know, like it's like he wanted me to officially announce it so that he could kick me out. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like he couldn't really boot me out of the house as long as I hadn't admitted it. Like as long as it was still sort of you know, beneath the surface, he right. couldn't quite act on his suspicions, but that in his head, the the conclusion had already been reached quite definitively. So. Oh, and I mean, do you feel like there was there a reversal? Did, I mean, is he convinced? You know, did did he? Know, when did he figure out that he was wrong? Oh, I, he probably still thinks I'm. Gay. That's what I was wondering. Seriously, I uh, yeah, I, you know, you, you, wherever he is right now, uh, he is probably doing two things. Uh, one of them is opening another can of Pabst Blue Ribbon, uh, and the other is probably complaining to whoever is sitting next to him at the bar uh, that yeah, I got this uh, queer son too. I mean, <laughs> Christ. Where? Why am I chose? Why am I chosen to suffer? <laughs> Except not nearly in like it's not nearly that eloquent probably when it comes out of him. So gotcha. Uh, well, moving on. Uh, like a, I think we have set some sort of land uh, speed record here for using the word stimulus like seven thousand times. Crazy? And you know, this is a. Gr I'm glad that I have a chance to even talk about this. I was calling. Uh, I talked to some staffers over in the you know, Senate Finance Committee this morning. And I said, you know, I've been going through these bills, and I just want to make sure that, you know, my tally is right for this. And, you know, and, and I said, so when we're talking about the stimulus bill, and the, <laughs> the staffer I'd never talked to before immediately interrupts me and says, um, we would like you to call it the economic recovery bill. It's not the stimulus bill. It's economic recovery. And he was, it was like he was, I just hit a sore spot. Right. Like, and I, I would like to think that's because he's sick of the word stimulus. I know that it's not. I know it's because they think it does them harm. But, yeah, so it, yeah, the words up here, it's, it's gonzo on what word you use. And, okay, so... You're right. Yeah, it's all stimulus all the time. But what are the actual, let me ask you this, uh, what are the beats, as they say, of this economic recovery thing. <laughs> right. I mean, what are the what are the broad strokes of it? In other words, okay. uh, give yeah. me some of the high the highlights here. You got it. We're talking um 800 or 900 uh, billion dollars, so the largest spending plan essentially um ever sp ever passed by Congress in this form. And about maybe a third of it would be tax cuts. The way it is right now is um individuals would get 500 a $500 check. But there would also be um, another, I think, maybe depends on the version, $2,000 that could go to college expenses. There's other money in there um, to offset other taxes as well. So there's a big chunk of tax cuts, and then the rest of it is spending. Everyone leading into this was talking roads, bridges, we're going to build infrastructure. But Republicans are right that most of this spending, you know, comes down about 500, 550 billion dollars is not roads and bridges. It, it is all over the place. It is shattered into, I mean, that's kind of a negative word, but it is split into dozens of different areas, which includes everything from um, building a new economic grid for renewable energy to a billion dollars that's in this bill for Sensei. Just wanted to bring that up. Thank you. And just an incredible myriad of things from healthcare, healthcare research. NIH gets a, a very large amount of funding in this. Uh, climate change, and then of course there there is maybe between depending on how you look at it, 30 to 50 billion for roads and bridges, 80 billion for schools, so that states can help fund their schools education. It's all over the place. Lots of spending on lots of things. All right. So I got the two observations to make here. One of them silly, one of them not. Uh, here's the silly observation first. So I'm doing my job for for nerds. 
Uh, I'm all for giving uh, money to NIH just because we always need a new generation of super intelligent rats to save little Timmy. <laughs> okay, moving on from that. Uh, we'll talk about this. Here's a, they keep they, the great they out there, uh, comparing this to sort of um, the... Um, you know, the New Deal and a lot of public works programs and a lot of the physical infrastructure of the country that needs to be improved or expanded upon or repaired. And that's, you know, they're trying to create a lot of jobs by, you know, the, the so-called ditch-digging jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where you got local, there's some bridge that, and, and it's not a theoretical bridge. Like, there's an actual bridge in Portland that is falling down. I mean, there's a big sign on it that <laughs> says, no lie, there is a, there's a bridge here that is open. You can still drive on it. But there's a big-ass sign on there that says... Uh, if you're driving a truck that weighs over whatever, like we demand that you turn around right now and don't drive across this bridge, well. because the bridge is just like one bad day away from splintering. So, um, but somebody, and I can't take credit for this, asked the following question about the Obama administration's plan to create some of these jobs, and and what they asked in essence was, the Obama administration has cited a lot of these. So-called these again, they use the phrase public works. A lot of these sort of public works, I- infrastructural, physical, in-country jobs that they are going to create and secure for American workers. And what this guy basically said to me was, he said, "Well, you know what? That 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 is a, 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 an improper allocation of the government's resources because." By definition, those jobs aren't going anywhere. Like, you have to live in America to dig a ditch in America. If you're going to dig a ditch in Kansas, guess what? You've got to be living in Kansas. It's jobs that can easily be sent overseas that really they ought to be working on protecting. I mean, why pour so much uh, money and so many resources into shoring up, creating, or protecting jobs, which by definition cannot ever leave the country and be done in Bangladesh? Well, we're talking about big economic theory. I think that's, that's a great, it's a great way of looking at it. Uh, I think the response would very likely be that the idea behind this economic bill is for a temporary spurt in, in the economy. That, that the idea isn't to create permanent jobs necessarily as much as it is to get people working, um, the next year, next three years when the economy is on a downturn, to, to find something essentially for people to do and a way for them to make a living um, and to keep spending money, uh, to keep the economy afloat, while um, businesses separately, the idea is, grow along a path so that they are competing better with the rest of the world. And this economic plan is, President Obama likes to call it one one leg on a three-legged stool, and he says you know, the other two legs are getting the banking sector and, and the rest of the American economy competitive, and then uh, also dealing with the housing crisis is the third leg. So I think the idea is that this is just supposed to be temporary. When you talk about competing um, internationally, the issue is that America really needs to grow into n- new sectors. You know, I don't know what the – it's not clear what those sectors – you're always placing a bet on what's going to be the most important next wave in, in the world economy. But clearly um, energy is a place where America once uh, was leading in, as far as how, how, do you deal, how do you drill an oil rig. Now America's got a lot of catching up to do if it wants to really be on top uh, later on when it comes to new energy. So that's one thing that's in this bill that may be a future investment. You know what a, a small uh, sort of aggressive company could really do right now uh, to make a big splash? 
I mean, because a lot of times they say, well, you can't avoid buying stuff from China, for example. That's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, like, everything you, everything you own. Probably the 80% of the things in this room uh, that I made probably come from China in some, in some way. But a small, right, right. A, a small, flexible, aggressive company could probably make a little bit of a splash and get an uptick in sales right now if they did this. Get one of those two, avail- uh, two remaining available Super Bowl ad slots, and they just say, it's some company that comes out and they say, whatever, the company that makes the, you know, that makes the fabled widget. They just say, look, uh, here at Widget Co., this is the deal. Um, you know, we're, we're an inclusive company. Uh, we're a company, uh, you know, that embraces diversity and, you know, all of those things. Uh, doesn't matter, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't matter race, religion, creed, sex, whatever. But you know what? Like, you got to live in America or you're not going to work for us. We're not going to have anything done by anybody who's not in America. Uh, it's every, everything we do. Uh, you know, all of it, it's all done in-house in this country, which mm. means if you buy from us, if you give us 10 bucks for a widget, you know what, that $10 is going to stay right here in America. And then they could actually just say, you know, so maybe it's going to be a little bit cheaper for you to go down the street. Maybe it's not, but I'll tell you what, you give us that $10, that $10 gets divvied up among other Americans, and it's going to stay inside the borders of the country. And People would be going crazy. People would be getting T-shirts for that. Seriously. Sure there's a lot of companies that have that policy. And, Tons. But really. somebody needs to just come out and say that. And again, people can email me about how I'm, you know, whatever, how I'm an ugly American, whatever. But just you're protectionist. And the whole point is that you know, in the world. I'm, greater free trade is better for everyone. And That's I, the argument. And I'm talking about marketing, though. And I'm talking right. about companies in America that are facing a bad, bad, bad economic implosion and trying to figure out how to stay in business and how to make money. Everybody needs to figure out the best way love? to make money. How and, do we get consumer love? And right? you know what? A company who did that, who came out, and the, the, the spot doesn't have to be... The spot doesn't have to be jingoistic. It's not like it doesn't have to be sort of like. Oh, better if it's not. Better it's not like it, straight straight talking. We don't have a lot of money for this ad, so we're just telling. Yeah. You. And you say, look, and you and they just make the point very politely but very firmly. Like that is it. You know, everything we do at this country in this at this company is done by Americans, people living in the United States. The end. And a company that gambled on doing an ad like that would see big dividends from that. You mark my words. Meanwhile, I have to tell you, I, I took a taxi cab. I took a bus somewhere last night, and I also took a taxi cab. Mm-hmm. And on both of these uh, legs of my journey, I asked the driver what they thought about the idea of having dollar coins only. Mm-hmm. And, and they both just looked at me in horror, practically. Like, it was the worst idea they'd ever heard. Uh, you know, but here's I'm the just th- saying. Here's the thing. Especially the taxi cab guy. He was like, what? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. By the way, if you in Canada they do this, and incidentally in Canada somebody asked about strip clubs, always a concern of the audience. In Canada, <laughs> in Canada they just have a coin box at the side of the stage that you put your dollar coins in, and the strippers divvy it up at the end of the shifts. So there you go, problem solved. Does Canada Jackasses. only have dollar coins? Canada has dollar coins, and but you know what? They have, they don't have bills. I, I I don't know. I think that probably the bulk of it is done with coinage. That's the that's the sort of theory I got. And you know what? And I, and they're you know look and they're a godless people, and if they can do it, then certainly we can do it. Um, my but my final word on this is uh, about this dollar coin business. Now people were immediately people were resistant to it. You can't vote for a guy who says he's going to change things and then like start screaming whenever he tries to actually you know change things. So it seems like you vote for change or fight against change. You can't do both. Wait, so all of a sudden it's about pre- like I don't has President Obama rung in on your change? And are you you're like blackmailing President Obama basically saying if you're not for dollar coins, then you aren't for any kind of change, Buster? I'm just saying that. Is that he, what you're saying? I'm, that's not what I'm. That is a drastic revision of the text. <laughs> okay. 
I'm saying that he could actually do this by executive order right now and say, look, this is going to save us $20 million a year. We're doing it. Shut up. <laughs> I just feel like I would, I would almost love it if he did it because I feel like no matter what he achieves, you know, 30 years from now there would also be, and then there was the dollar coin idea. Like new Coke. It would be like new Coke. Right? <laughs> it could be. I thought and that's then, how then, I feel. And then he can also do the, you know, we're going to have change by using change. <laughs> I present to you, and then he holds it up. Right, the camera. All right, there you go. Yeah. On that note, Lisa, enjoy the rest of your day. I will talk you to you very soon. Talk. All right, bye. There you go, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, Sarah Dillon. Hello. How are you? Oh, I found some fabulous stories for today. You ever seen the movie The Secret of Nim? Yes. I, Fantastic yeah. film. That was a good movie. Uh, what were you handing me that I was supposed to be mortified by? I already gave it to Dave. Uh, it was the one with the pipe. Oh, and the... Uh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry for that hand gesture, but I, the only <laughs> yeah, way I can... You're right, I know. But you know what I'm well, talking that was about. Right? No, that was the one that almost made me kind of yeah. gag. Yeah, that's not a good That's not a good story. No. Dave Schmidt. As opposed to... It's a very bad story. Uh, God. All right. Yeah, and I'm getting go? really nervous for that thing I'm doing tonight. So let's... Um, what time is it? Well, we'll take a minute here. Yeah. Uh, let me just pull up a chair. Because <laughs> we got nothing but time today. Jesus. See, now... See, it's moments like this, Sarah, just... Uh, really, which just uh, you and I in the room, just uh, the calm, you know, mm-hmm. just like the eye of the uh, whatever, the eye of the tornado, yeah, hurricane. What's well, the good. thing that has the eye? I think the hurricane. Tor- tornado. The hurricane. Tor- tornado. I think it's the eye of the hurricane. I don't know. Well, whatever. Anyway, there's a storm and it has the thing and there's the, the eye. Um, See, I think everyone else is so normal and you and I are so insane that when we're both in the room with each other, we make ourselves calm. Now, are you feeling are you feeling crazy today? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. See, I didn't really know that. So no, you were, but you when were you projecting get... all over me earlier. No, 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 no. You're insane. I no. am. Don't get me wrong. No, but, but I... when you get when you get more, I think that's why we have such a good balance. Because when you get completely grumpy and crazy, that's when I become calm. It's so, like, true. I'm not. I'm I'm not feeling like spastic or anything. I mean, I just I feel a little discombobulated because there's been so much madness. But no, I don't. I I don't feel at all like high strung or. Right. Well, because it works the other way too. You know, that when you when you come in and you're feeling off kilter or manic or crazy or whatever, and I tend to sort of mm-hmm. I try to be the I try to be the warm the the warm soothing water that sort of just uh sort of just uh you know I try to be the I try to be the room temperature guy that just sort of mellows everything out. Um, <laughs> so what was my point? Uh, you know, same, that's the same thing with Dennis Pitsenbarger too when he comes in. Um, I mean, really, because Dennis is like. Dennis is just a big. He's like in squiggle vision all the time. And he's a good man. He's just in, in so intense. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I really do like Dennis. Uh, and he has oh, no, he has fine. a certain and he you know what he has he has presence and he has charisma. And I'm not being snarky about that. It really is true. Dennis is a very magnetic person. He's he, you know he's very uh, very engaging. But boy, he's just sort of he's just sort of and then you know and then it's just it's like I mean it, you know what it is. Dennis is like Dennis is like. A sort of cracked out Anthony Robbins, you know. Have you ever listened to to Tony Robbins talk? No. Um, Tony Robbins, who I really do love, and uh, Tony Robbins is a really, in my opinion, a, a really great guy. And the only time I've ever heard him speak is in a stint in Shallow Hell. Yeah. See, well, there you go. Uh-huh. Um, but Tony Robbins is a great guy, in my opinion, and uh, but but he's got Dennis's voice exactly. They have exactly the same voice. And I have some uh, Tony Robbins like audiobooks, and it's like it's, you listen to him sometimes. And occasionally, I will have to stop and actually make a mental note, like note to self: you are not listening to Dennis Pitsenbarger, because that would just be. Because then it's like you picture Dennis Pitsenbarger in your head, like his mouth opening and closing as he's giving you all this advice, which you then instinctively want to reject because it's from Dennis Pitsenbarger. But you know, anyway. But Dennis comes in, and he's just like such a blur of energy. And Don Taylor made this note. Uh, she pointed this out that like. 
when Dennis comes in that I do what you do when I'm crazy. I just immediately become very like, I just immediately oh. retreat and I go to a calm place within myself and I say, mm-hmm. That's great, Dennis. What else is going to be coming up on Miles Around as well on as well as on uh, Comcast Sports on Demand? Please to tell us. You I know? think you just like the comparison because maybe you're used to being you know the crazy person so much that like when somebody else comes in that's even a little more loud. Like, so I'm the Sarah to his Rick. That's exactly yeah. what you are. So so that's the thing. So yeah. So when we, so we are sort of like uh, in terms of. Uh, to use the water analogy, is sometimes one of us one of us will come in. The water's way too cold. Somebody else, water way too hot. Mix them together, water just right. Mm-hmm. So occasionally, we're both nutty, and like unbelievably so. And those are the days that are usually fantastic. <laughs> so all right. So you just to quickly go around the room. I'm crazy and attempting to deal not very well. You're crazy but dealing perfectly. Yeah. No. I'm, and I'm not feeling. It's not because of the show. I'm, I think it's just because I'm getting it's ah, the thing tonight. Nervousness. So what tonight. is the thing tonight? So my friend Jay and I are um, going to be interviewing, because he works for Willamette Week, so he asked me to be kind of his co-host with this thing where we're going to be interviewing uh, bands and musicians and venue owners and stuff in the green room of uh, the Crystal Ballroom where the Portland Music Awards are happening. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, but Jay's kind of, okay, you think that we're in, take it like by a million. Do Jay. I know Jay? You've met Jay. He's, right. uh, we've been friends for years. He's he's friends with Kelly Clark. You heard Kelly and I talking right, about right. him yesterday. Oh yeah. Oh I oh I heard that. <laughs> yeah. I heard many stories about that. Yeah. No. He's yeah. He's completely bonkers, but like a genius writer and and, and a, a good friend of mine. And he so one week he uh, interviewed people last year and there's like you know he's great you know despite the you know complete inebriation we want to have him back again. They're like but you know we're gonna have some more serious people like Elliot Smith. I, I believe his father might be there. Right. And so they're they're gonna have um, maybe the drunk guy, not the best person to talk to Elliot Smith's dad. Exactly. So they're having more serious contenders. So they're like, well, why don't you bring someone in? And he's like, oh, my buddy Sarah can do it. So I might have to speak to Elliot Smith's dad tonight. Are you gonna have to be the sober one? I'm no, not the sober, the serious one. Well, not more. Still be drunk, but serious. Not so serious, but just like the more professional one, because I can, you know, I can keep it together. But uh, I'm just, I'm really nervous. I mean, that guy's the you know father of an icon. Elliot Smith's dad. That's yeah. a big deal. So that's why. So that's why I'm distracted. So I keep thinking about it. I'm like, oh. now is that is is that thing that Elliot Smith's dad there? Is that the one thing you keep latching onto? Or is there other stuff? I'm not trying to make you more nervous. I'm trying to figure out if it's if no, you just if it's that one thing you've sort of pinpointed. It's that one thing because I know that's specifically something that I'm going to have to right. do. Like I don't know if it's his father. Like there, somebody tied with Elliot Smith. Right. It's not really you know like set in stone as to who it is. And have you practiced your questions? No. Oh, you got to do that. I know. I don't. I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know because it's not supposed to be an interview. It's supposed to just be a you know like back and forth. Like it's not going to be some full long interview. Just like how you, you should still it. practice it, in my opinion, because you know you have to work really. In, I say with all my experience interviewing Elliot Smith's dad, uh, you, like you got to really work hard to make it seem casual. I think, especially if you're going to be nervous. Okay. Well, maybe during the break, can you help me write some questions? Yes. Okay. Yes, I can. And then we can role play. I'll be Elliot Smith's dad. Okay. All right. Hey, then I mentioned that my uh, Tom Savini interview uh, this morning went badly. I heard it went flawlessly. Yeah. What time is it? We can still break. It's a short break. Mm. You think? We shouldn't. We should bring in uh, Dave, and then we'll break early. Okay. Get caught up. Hey, uh, Richie Bristol, can you uh, escort our good friend Dave Schmidt to the studio? In the meantime, I'll get these calls. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. How are you doing today? What's up? I have got a question. I hope. Hopefully you can help me on the stimulus package. Now, you know that the answer uh, that I'm going to give you is probably going to be wrong, right? Well, if not just flat I, out made up. I've been trying to find the answer, and I can't find any answer to it. Uh, when they say they're going to create three and a half to four million jobs yeah. through public works projects, yes. is, isn't there people in place who do this stuff now 
to do the projects and they won't need any extra people? And if they do hire extra people, are they going to be skilled workers or unskilled workers? Well, I would, have to be trained. My gut sense, and again, I'm not a doctor uh, or, you know, anybody. Uh, the uh, I am not a learned man, sir, but it would be my my estimation, just the the data at hand would suggest th- that, you know, today's one of those days, by the way, where I can't tell what's supposed to be singular or plural when I talk. It, it, uh, but it doesn't matter. The available data <laughs> indicates to me, though, that there probably aren't enough people, and here's why I say that. Because it seems like, by definition, if there were enough people around to be doing that stuff now, that stuff would be done now, and it's not. Like, for example... Well, they don't have the money for it now. That's where they're getting the money for it, so it's from the stimulus package. Well, but see, so there you go. But because they don't have the money, and again, I'm just guessing, because they don't have the money, they therefore probably don't have the people because they haven't had the money to hire the people to do the jobs. You okay, well, these, these jobs, like fixing the Selwood Bridge and stuff, yes. are highly technical and skilled. And well, if they don't have the people, where are they going to get the skilled you know workers? What? Let me tell you this, friend. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up on current events. Lots of highly uh, skilled people are, are losing their jobs every day. But that doesn't necessarily mean they can build a road or a bridge. Well, anyway, it I'm just concerned I, about it. I'm just, I just, I just don't know. I don't know that they're going to take work. a guy who worked at Taco Bell and have him fixing the bridge. Well, uh, that's but, what I, but, though. well, I don't really think it is. To be fair, I don't think anybody's actually said that. I think, I think my, or again, my read on it is that there's a lot of stuff in this, uh, you know, in this country, a lot of infrastructural things that need to be done, and that, you know, like fixing a bridge, fixing a road, all that stuff. Like, there's some of that stuff where you got to have a degree and actual knowledge and you know how to run stuff. There's other stuff where it's like, hey, I, I need a guy to bring bags of that and put them over here. And, you know, we're going to need people to do that, too. Okay. I uh, just That's just, just my I guess, just, sir. I yeah, don't okay. think – it seems unlikely that they're just going to get, like, you to go build a bridge. So. Well, thanks a lot. I'm just saying, or me, for that matter. So. <laughs> or you. I was going to say, four right. million news, man. We'd be in trouble. So. <laughs> but thank you for your information. Thanks and, so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank right, you. Thank you. There you go. I know he didn't mean for that to sound like a colossal insult, so I'm not going to take it as one. I'm not going to complain about anything. Somebody made a baby after me. All right, what? Rick, okay, you know what? I love you. We got to put, we got to squash this baby thing. There are still people who don't know. Okay, but how about we'll give you till the end of the week where you can talk about the baby, and then after tomorrow, no more baby talk. (laughs) I'm not even sure that Dave Schmidt he's aware. <clears throat> aware of what now? That's oh, God, what I'm talking Dave. about right there. Hello, oh, Dave Schmidt. Oh, how no. are you today? Hey, Rick. Hey, Sarah. How are you guys doing? Very uh, well. Well, thank you for joining us Better today. Better you're here oh, now. I'm, I'm glad to be here as always. Hey, uh, you know, you may not be aware of this. Do you know that uh, you know that somebody named their newborn child after me? Uh, Rick? They named the child Rick? They named the baby. Uh, she's a, they, they had a daughter, and they named her Emerson. No. Emerson Ava. Really? Because of me, we just had the uh, we had the mom on the phone here about 25 minutes ago. So Sarah, is this like throwing gasoline on a flame? Seriously, like I think I'm just going to start keeping count of how many times he says it during the show because he found out yesterday, and I've heard it about 70 times. Wow. I'm just saying that is, you know, look, good news is not to be hoarded inside one's own heart. <laughs> Sarah, you shouldn't put your light under a bushel. I mean, really, if there is good news to be... You know what I think it is? I think that, like, her grandfather or something was probably named Emerson, and then it just so happened that she decided, she's like, oh, she heard you talking about it, so she's pretending that it was because of you. Well, maybe she has two other siblings that are, that are named Lake and Palmer. My only point, 
Dave and Sarah, is that, you know, these are these are trying times, and I think that people long for the occasional bit of good news. And what could possibly be better news than the fact that somebody named their newborn child after me, Rick Emerson? Well, you have a last name that could be, you know, that can be used that way. It is a gender-neutral name, as she noted. Yeah. Uh, you can use it, and in fact, everybody I've talked to has said that that's a wonderful name for a girl. Not so much for a boy, so, you know, whatever, but for a girl, apparently. So, all right, well, there you go. I'm just... Uh, I'm trying to lift the hearts of the people in whatever way that I can. How does that help other people? Because. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, in ways too numerous to list, Sarah. Oh, okay. That's well, really what it is. It makes uh, him happy. So when he's on his way home and stops off at 7-Eleven for something, he's going to be nicer to the clerk. And you know what, Sarah? Uh, and I've seen him before. He's polite, but not nice. And I will say that, you know, here's the thing. The fact that they named their kid after me indicates in some small way that this country is on the right track after all. And so my personal consumer confidence has risen. In fact, I think I might go buy a flat-screen television today, wow. just based on that alone. So, all right. Hello, Dave Schmidtke. <laughs> Rick Emerson. How uh, are you? I'm uh, I'm Dandy. Let's do one more call, and then we'll uh, do a few news stories here. Right. Uh, try to get uh, ahead of the curve, as they say, and then we'll uh, take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. Quick one. Uh, the Canadian money, Yes. the $1 and $2 are coins, 5 and above are bills. The one dollars are kind of gold, and they got a bird on the back. They call them loonies, and the uh, two's got a bunch of different animals on the back. The queen on the front. Five dollar bill's cool because it's got little boys playing hockey on it and some poem from a French guy. So they got class. <laughs> I, I just I lost the thread of this call almost immediately, and then I was never able. There was no insertion point for me. Um, all right, let's start again, but let's just stick for now with with the business of the coins. What Canadian? Uh, dollar value or above coins are there? One and two. Okay, so they have dollar coins, they have two dollar coins. Do they additionally have dollar or two dollar bills? No. So th so there are, in fact, no, there are no bills. What is the smallest bill they use in Canada? The five, the hockey player one. So it's one dollar coin, two dollar coin, five dollar bill and up. Correct. All right. Well, see, and, and it seems to work out pretty well, right? Oh, yeah. Whole country. And, and you know what? Let me just point this out. Uh, despite the fact that Lisa's poll of cab drivers indicated that Americans were horrified by the idea of a one or two dollar coin, they're able to do it in Canada, and they're still able to pay for health care when all is said and done. Yeah. So, I mean, well, well, admittedly, everything's real expensive. So you're usually pulling out a five instead of a one. Everything's expensive, not like here. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's expensive. All right, all right. excellent. Thank you, my friend. Oh, one other thing: keep building them bridges of communication. Hang up. Hang up. Bye. <laughs> Uh, Dave Schmickey's handed me a note here. He says, as we begin the news, serious or silly news to start with? Question mark. Sarah Dillon? <laughs> Maybe a silly. We're kind of in a silly mood. Then we can reset after the break. And I think if you were to, uh, here's the thing about it. It's not so much serious, but I think if you were to start with a story, and I wouldn't blame you, of course. If you were to start with a story uh, uh, that was angering in some way. Well, there are a lot of, like, dead teenager stories. So yeah. Those are... I think that I might just become, I might at that point become officially irascible. So uh, let's start with something amusing, Dave. Okay. Well, you know, we can, we can, we can help you out there, Rick. There's Excellent. no doubt about that. Um, a woman who was in an erotic dream state. Is that silly enough for you? Erotic dream state, which I've never heard of before. That's, uh, that's when you're in the... That's when I was going to see. <laughs> Look, I want to see how you're going to describe Here's that. how the joke didn't work. Here's, here, would you like to see the anatomy of a failed punchline just there? Sure. When you were saying uh, on KCMD Portland, when you were saying an erotic dream state, I immediately was going to say that's when you're not in Utah. 
because of, you know nothing erotic blah blah blah. But but then that's too much of a mouthful. So I was trying to think of this. I was trying to think of like what is the sexiest state there is. That's one you have in California. But then that doesn't work either. So I was trying to make like a geographic pun on an erotic dream state. You're trying to make states sexy. Like like uh, like Las Vegas. So there's Nevada, but Nevada as a whole doesn't really work either. Hmm. That's that's a failed bit of comedy. Is what that is. The I'd like wheels to... are spinning pretty. Fast in there today. You know what I'm going to do <laughs> with the body of that joke? Yeah. I'm going to leave that out. Uh, I'm going to leave the body of that failed humor out as a warning to the others. Just going to leave it there, just like just okay. like Vlad the Impaler used to. I'm going to leave that there so everybody else can see that failed joke and know what lies this way if you're not good. The right. head on the stake, as it were. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Dave. Well, you know, this this lady in in Phoenix was apparently in an erotic dream state when she removed some of her clothing and wrapped her naked torso around a man sitting beside her on a couch. She may have given the impression she was directing a prolonged and provocative act. That's at least what the judge said. Justice Ron Mills found Paul Coote, 60 years of age, not guilty of sexual assault today uh, in the court of Queen's bench. But where, but on the, where was the couch? Well, apparently here's the deal. This, this lady who is 35 years uh, uh, Paul Coote's uh, age, 35 years younger, was just staying with him and apparently while asleep had a, a dream of her estranged husband and which caused her to then, while in the dream state, wrap herself semi-naked around the much older man. Then she woke up. There's so many things uh, in this story on which I call shenanigans. One, yeah. they don't really clarify why she's li- So he's 61, but right? Is she living with him or is she... She was just staying with him because she was fleeing her abusive husband. who then About whom she was weird. having hot sex with. Exactly. Uh. Weird. Uh-huh. So anyway, the judge found out that Paul Coote was not uh, responsible or not guilty of any sexual intent. I just love the... Uh, oh, yeah. Break my other arm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Uh, cut crazy. off my hair and tell me no one else will love me. Mm. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so she's staying with this guy. So he's 61, which would make her, what, 30-something, 30 35? Oh, yeah. 35. So let's say 35 and 60. Uh-huh. They're sitting on the couch together. Yep. She falls asleep. That I can almost buy. That they're sitting on the couch. Maybe they're watching Perry Mason. Uh, she falls asleep. But then she starts taking off her clothes. Which you would think that, look, even at the age of 60, you would think that uh, he wouldn't be, you know, that, that dead asleep. You'd think he'd notice it, right? Well, he was wide awake. She was asleep. And, uh, and, and he was sitting at one end of the long sofa when the woman went to sleep, fully clothed, at the other end of the sofa in the fetal position. Uh, when she awoke in the early morning, she found Coot touching her. She was also partially nude. Her underwear was off. Her bra was unhooked. Uh, her jacket was off. And her layered tops were partially lifted. Wow. Her legs were around Coot's waist, but apparently this was, uh, you know, the thing is I can sympathize uh, to a degree with this woman because I have always been an active sleeper. Uh, and, yeah, I used to sing in my sleep. I snapped my fingers in my sleep, sleepwalk. And when I got older, involved in relationships, I developed this persona that my wife called Midnight Romeo. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sarah's backing away now, I noticed. I'm leaning no, so forward, were though. You so. like a, were you a night molester? Yeah. My my wife loved it because it was like having an affair. So she says, I wasn't, you know, the thing is, is the, the bummer is, is that you would wake up about halfway through. <laughs> and it's like, and then it was oh. just awkward. Well, then I just, you know, want to go to sleep. Oh, that is awkward. <laughs> Probably more so for her. Oh, baby, oh, baby, oh. Oh, hey, how you doing there? Hey, look at the time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, I got that early morning meeting, baby. I'd love to finish this, but. Uh, about those blazers. Dave got to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. All right, good night now. <laughs> 
So that's like how Tom Morello uh, is the night watchman. You are, in fact, just the night molester. Yes. All right. Uh, how you should your, like, put night... that on your business card to get a cape that you wear around. Night molester stories are the worst. Like, I, like especially... Like, you know, being young and, like, going to parties and stuff and, like, you know, you stay over at someone's house and then that's happened to me before you wake up and some person's, like, trying to touch you or kiss you. I'm just like, who the hell are you? But not, but when you mean, like, not asleep, like, where they're, like, you're asleep no, well, you're and they just figure that's, that's their that's, chance? That's the definition of a night molester is, like, when you stay and, like, if there are a bunch of people staying at somebody's house, you know, after a party or something. And I've, I've done that before where I woke up and some guy is, like, trying to kiss me yeah. or touch me. It is the... But, oh, so but in other creepy. words, but not a thing where like you were both asleep no. and he thought he was at home with his girlfriend. No, it's like I was. It was basically like there's a there's a chick who's asleep. Let me grope her. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. That's a that's I believe that's actually a crime. No, that that is a crime. That's a that's yeah, assault. Many women I think. Yeah. Too. Yeah. in college, guys. Well, it's, it's like creepy. the ru- the rupees thing, you know. The rupees. And the rupees. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Rupees, I believe, are the Indian currency. <laughs> well, thank you. Can I pay you in rupees? <laughs> okay, bend over. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry about that. The the uh, no, man. I okay. Here's a question, and I probably have asked this before, but I don't think it was ever actually answered. So, what is Rohypno actually supposed to be used for? Hmm. I mean, everybody. I, I mean, know. it's got to suck in a way to be the company that makes that drug, right? Because you're like, what do you, I work for? Blah. You know, I work for uh, you know, Farmcom Incorporated. Really? What do you make? Oh, prescription drugs. Oh, like what? Rohypno. And everybody goes, oh, raping. And maybe it's like a painkiller or something. It seems a little bit heavy duty for a painkiller. That's true because it does keep you awake, but you're like, you know, completely right. drugged. So I mean, Rohypno, and I, and I and I really, I am, I am sincere about this. I do companies that get marketing challenges because the popular depiction of their product is so negative or weird in some way that it does taint kind of the fact that it has a legitimate use. Like, well, here's another one. You know, chloroform probably has some legitimate use. Sure. But you know what? Is, what does everybody use it for? It is putting cheerleaders in your trunk. <laughs> okay. So I mean, the, allegedly. The I, drug's uh... medical purpose is quite different. It's primarily used as a surgical anesthetic or a sleeping pill in about 80 countries, although the United States is not one of them. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So, so, but do they even sell it here? Like, could you go get a prescription from for Wahypno here? No, because. Uh, Let's see. Drug enforcement officials say the Wahypno is illegally coming into the United States from Mexico, Colombia. Ah, okay. Because that was my question. Is like. You know, because I, you know, I have insomnia or whatever, and I, and I you know, and I, I take this stuff, I take this stuff trazodone, which is, you know, which is a, a world apart from, like, a regular sleeping thing. But, um, uh, but I was wondering, like, is that a thing where it's like if my insomnia was bad enough, they would eventually, because they used to give you Seekinol, I think, was the, that was the heavy-duty sleeping pill. And now it's that Ambien stuff, uh, which has its own kind Isn't of... Isn't that the, like, sleepwalky... That's, that's to get up and make yourself, like, dinner and, yeah. and not know it. Like, I'm at the supermarket, how did I get here, kind of a yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wondering if, like, your sleeping problem was bad enough if they would eventually go, have some Rohypnol. So, well, all right. Anyway, so there you go. So I guess, the, like everything else, it's just coming coming like a, through the sieve that is the uh, the U.S.-Mexican border. So, right. Well, you know, it's funny because um, Ambien actually on the, if you I'm one of those geeks that when you get the little the little pamphlet you know that comes with it that's about the size of a playing card and then you open it up mm-hmm. and fold it and then by the time you get it unfolded it's a poster right and I actually read all, really? the, all the chemical makeups and all the little warnings and I don't know that they still do it but Ambien used to have this really odd worded warning on it. Years ago, my, my wife, who's a breast cancer survivor, was prescribed some of this stuff. And I was reading it, and it said, don't combine with alcohol. It can cause morally unacceptable behavior. Really? Yeah. Really? I don't know that it still says that. But it was really strange. So I went and got a few beers and popped one of these puppies. Just, just I had to see. I swear to God, I thought this was going to end in, and then when she wasn't looking, I, do- <laughs> I dosed her red wine. 
So apparently, I went medieval on my wife's cookie bouquet. She had a cookie bouquet. Have you seen those things? Cookies on a stick look like flowers. No. Are we talking about an actual cookie bouquet? Yeah. All right. You so can I, see how I might have. All right, go ahead. I hoovered that, apparently. <laughs> In your sleep? Yeah. Well, you, I, you hoovered your wife's cookie bouquet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoovered it. And then I ran around the house like a little kid and ended up falling asleep on the stairs. All right, hold on. I'm Googling ambient and morally unacceptable. Let's see here. Hold on. Wait. Wait. No, I, uh, let's see. No, I don't see it here. Morally, morally. Another time I, I actually, I had a tile project I was working on, and I tiled with shoes and lint rollers. Woke up in the morning, there's, there's shoe, lint roller, shoe, lint roller. That's you just know. weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, here's the thing about that is that's typically, I mean, it's not like that kind of behavior isn't associated with drug use sometimes. Um, but it, but it usually stuff that you are doing while wide awake, it just seems crazy unless you're high. For example, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you know, the guy who does, you know, you, like everybody knows the guy who would just get jacked up on speed or, you know, or, or coke or something and then, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to be repainting the entire house tonight. What do you mean? No, literally the entire house. I went out and I bought 75 gallons of paint and 75 brushes. I'm now going to begin with your room. Move everything you own. <laughs> because he's just got it into his head that the entire house has to be puce, and he's going to start it this instant, you know? What are you doing? I'm putting in an outdoor sprinkling system. You're like, well, it's 3 a.m., Bob. It doesn't matter. What time? No time like the present. You know, would you like to help me trim the hedge first? You know, and then she's like, no, I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. I used so. to sleepwalk in college. It was so scary, I, you know, because I lived in the sorority, and um, the sleeping porch was on the third floor of, like, this big, you know, sorority house. And probably, like, once once every couple of weeks, I, it would be in the middle of the night, and someone would be sitting down, in, you know, in the foyer. And I would get out from my bunk bed, walk three flights down, and people would see me walk into, the like, the basement area. That's weird. It was so creepy. And then I'd wake up, and I would be, well, either I would wake up sometimes, and I'd be in, like, random, like, a random room on, like, the first or second floor. But and people would, like, just see me walk down into, like, the TV room, which is down in the basement. And someone tried to talk to me once, and they're like, where are you going, sir? I'm like, I'm going downstairs. To kill? <laughs> like, yeah. it's so obvious. Or no, I'm like, I'm going downstairs. <laughs> it was in the middle of the night, and I'm just just slowly walking down this, like, grand staircase. That is so it's weird. It's so creepy. I can't even, like, allow myself to think about it. Well, you, you, always, you always hear that people sit and try to ask you, and you, you respond to things that sometimes just don't make any sense. You know, mama yeah. dog face banana patch. You know, it's just... <laughs> You know, yeah, you, I, I don't know. I think I understand. We launch at dawn. <laughs> First target, Moscow. <laughs> All right. The, now, you don't do that anymore, though, or to the best of your knowledge, right? No, it was, and it was specific. I don't know. There was like was something. it like a like, was it something you were taking at the time? No, or? no. There's. I think there was just something. Something in your head? No, no, no. It sounded just bizarre. It, it, there's something evil in that house, and I never slept well, and I was always sleepwalking. The second I left that that sorority, it stopped. That's weird. I had a uh, I had a friend of mine. Um, she used to wake up um, in the middle, and I, I actually referenced this earlier, but it's true. Um, years ago, I used to know a woman who would. She lived across the street from um, a place called uh, Tidyman's, which was a uh, it's a supermarket. It's like a Safeway, and uh, she would wake up in the middle of the store, like with a shopping cart half full of stuff. Sometimes in her bathrobe. I mean, never like nude or anything, but sometimes dressed normally. Uh, sometimes in a bathrobe and slippers, always dressed to some degree, and she would wake up in, like, the frozen foods aisle, and she'd be like, wah, and she'd look down, and her hands were pushing the shopping cart, and she had already made, and I asked her, I said, I said, so how how did the purchases different, uh, differ? Like, what, you know, were you buying stuff that you wouldn't typically buy? She's like, no, it, it's exactly what I would typically buy. Um, 
which is weird. It's like some part of her brain decided, like, well, you know, we are getting kind of low on butter. Let's go to the store right now. So, and, you know, here's the thing about this. I know just enough about uh, physiology and psychology to be just a little bit dangerous but massively entertaining. Here's the thing, and then we'll talk to a guy who took roofies, uh, and then we'll take a break. Um, here's the thing about your body and your subconscious. In most people, uh, for example, uh, not Dave, not Sarah, not this other person, um, in most people, there's a sort of clutch in your brain, and when you go to sleep, the clutch is depressed. It, you know, in other words, it's pushed down like in a car. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it disengages your unconscious brain from your motor control, because your unconscious brain cannot tell the difference between reality and fantasy. That is why, if you were to stop right now, here I'll prove it. I will prove right now that your brain, your unconscious brain, doesn't know what's real and what's fake. I will prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, everybody, right now, listen to me. Now I want you to, uh, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to envision yourself. Uh, you have a whole, unpeeled, uncut lemon in your hand. You have an entire lemon in your hands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take the lemon. Now just vi- vi- play along with it. Take the lemon. Run it underneath the tap. Wash the outside of it. All right. Take the lemon. Put it on a wooden cutting board. Probably filled with salmonella. Take a knife. All right. Now picture yourself. You're cutting that lemon in half. All right. Now, you take both halves of the lemon, one in each hand. You lift them up above your mouth, and then you squeeze them, and then you just have all the raw lemon juice go right into your mouth. And right now, your mouth is probably watering, and you're kind of cringing a little bit. Uh, That's because you imagined it, and your body thinks it's real. So there you go. And so your body and your, your subconscious and your motor controls are inextricably linked most of the time. But somewhere in our evolution, we figured out that that was going to get us killed because you were going to wake up and walk into a campfire. So your brain developed this clutch. And when you go to sleep, the clutch gets pushed in, and your motor control and your subconscious are separated. So one can't trigger the other. However, in some people, that gets switched off or it doesn't work quite properly, which is why something unconscious will make you get up and walk around the house or go shopping or whatever. Hmm. There you go. The end. And, uh, you know, knowing is half the battle. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, I'm not proud to admit it, but I tried roofies one time, and I woke up eight hours later, and nobody had touched me. That is sad, sir. That is really the greatest of all tragedies. Hey, uh, the drug Nembutol, it's a test of barbitol. I'm sorry, what, try We're losing your phone. Try one more time. Nembutol. Yes. N-M-B-U-T-O-L. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dosage, I'll never forget, I saw in the instructions, it said dosage for hypnosis, one or two tablets. That's mm. fantastic, really? Yeah, that's for my feet. Oh, losing. Ah, it sucks. All right. All right. Uh, final uh, email here, then we'll take a break. Uh, let's see. Somebody uh, who works at CBS, who I will not identify, who seems to have a disproportionate amount of knowledge about this thing, says, Roofies are used in, <coughs> pardon me, roofies are used in Mexico and other countries outside the U.S. as an anesthetic during surgeries. Roofies were very popular and easy to find in central Florida in the late 90s. By the way, they cost $3 each, FYI. And you can find them at uh, probably this person's desk. I won't reveal who sent that to us. It's Will somebody. You please show me so that I can know to stay away from their desk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think I'll take some of these vitamins. Yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to warn anybody else. Then it's like a live role-playing game. All right, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seven. It's like World of Warcraft, but with raping. Uh, all right, back after this, more of Dave Schmidtke when we return. Uh, later on, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum. 
Jen Lane, and uh, Dan Hanakow from uh, Powell's Books at Serials Crossing. Stay there. You were smoking over there for a second. <laughs> string cheese. With my string cheese. <laughs> oh, by the way, I uh, I hope that it's okay that I didn't punt this morning on your cigarettes. Sarah sent me over to the uh, plaid pantry to get cigarettes for her today. <laughs> Could I make me some more traffic? No, no, no. What? You were busy working. Well, cause like, well, no, and also I have to go somewhere like right after the show, so I wasn't really gonna have time. There's no time to stop, but you, but you will make time now, won't you? Yes, of course. Right. So she sent me over to the plaid pantry. She's like. And this is how great Sarah is and how dumb I am, because I don't smoke. So she actually, and neither does she really. They're just for show. Uh, so uh, I like that. So she actually took out because I'm not because I'm not terribly bright. She knows that if she were to just to tell me what to get, I would almost certainly forget or screw it up somehow and then incur her wrath. And so she actually drew me like a little picture because Sarah's a great drawer, and she she so she drew, she actually draws this illustration of the Capri box. Wow. And exactly what it is, and she's like, and then there's and then there's an arrow pointing at it with a little note saying, "Pink writing will be right here." Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I all I did, I didn't even know. Did I, you just hand the cashier the piece of paper? It was like I was ordering up the picture menu at McDonald's, like yeah. I'm a mute or something. Yeah. So I was like one of those, and then just pointing at the Big Mac. Uh, so I just you didn't really. Well, no, but it was because I'm not a deaf mute. No, but it I was mean, like you really that. gave him the piece of paper. I did. I just I pushed the piece of paper over the counter, which I suppose probably initially looked like I was robbing the joint. I was going to say it sounds like you know, give me the cigarettes and nobody gets hurt. Seriously, I want you to just look down at this note. Don't make any noise. Yeah. Uh, but I just slid. I, I slid the note. and I said, I need to get uh, these, or somebody's going to be cross. Uh, and she looked down. She goes, Oh, we don't have those. And I thought, oh, oh God. so and now you have to try to pick a, something that's like close to a Capri. And you have no idea. Why do you? No, no, must no she make... was trying to sell him something close, and he made the smart decision. To... No, she was totally flushed, like, well, I don't got those, but I got these, and these are basically the same. And I thought, no, no, no that's not. No, 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 not going to work. No, that's that's not that's not going to be happening because yeah. uh, let me just ask you this: What would the reaction have been if I had brought back? Because here's what she offered me. Sense. Well, I'm just saying. Look, but here's the thing. I know that you. I know how you cigarette smokers are. I know that when push comes to shove, you'll, you'll smoke anything. So I mean, you'd, I mean, you'd smoke rope if they gave it to you. So except for, except for menthol, maybe that's mm. that's a little hard. Yeah, well, strange you say that because what she said is she goes, I don't have what are these Capri One Tens? Capri One Twenties. The One Twenties, and she says, I, I don't have no Capri One Twenties. I got these Capri Menthols. Oh, <laughs> that's what she said. That's what she was trying to push on me. And what by me, I mean you. Lady. I want well, to go and have words with her. All right. Then, and I said, well, I don't know. And that, like, you wasn't able to close that. So she said, uh, well, I've also got these Virginia Slims. Mm-mm. Mm, and I, so there you go. So I made these the... These ones are okay in a bind, but... I made the they're right not, choice. They're, they're not slim. They're the exact same size as regular cigarettes. Uh-huh. Whereas Capri's look like, you know... That is why I simply took my money and I came back. Thank you. Uh, so I didn't want to buy the wrong cigarettes. You buy the wrong cigarettes for somebody, it's like buying somebody the wrong booze oh, yeah. or something. You well, know? even the wrong size, like you said, I used to smoke one tens, and somebody got me shorties one time, and it was just like just wrong. I know, like I don't like to smoke the little stumpy short ones. Yeah. <laughs> don't. No one that. does, Sarah. No. No one does. Not a way anybody wants to live their life. <laughs> but you know, talking about drugs, if you ever do, because I smoked for twenty four years, 
And I tried everything to quit. Everything. Not, not, not that you should. I'm not going to be one of those Thank you. idiot, you know, ex-smokers. But I took this drug called Chantix. And wow. It, it really it, worked? Yeah. It, all it did was, it was like that drug the, the alcoholics will take. They don't get the butt. Well, no, they actually make them sick. This would just remove the buzz from smoking. Well, there's anabuse, which is the thing they'll give to, to alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And anabuse, by, by the way, the irony, of course, of anabuse is it's easy to overdose on and kill yourself with, really? uh, which is what Keith Moon did. Well, they gave, they gave Keith Moon from The Who, uh, Keith Moon was on this drug called anabuse. And anabuse doesn't make your alcohol cravings go away. What it does is... It just makes it, it it makes your it reacts badly with alcohol. So if you are taking the drug Anabuse and you try to drink anything at all, any alcohol, it makes you violently nauseous mm. or nauseated. Uh, you you will like start chain puking. And so Keith Moon was like, "Well, I guess I'll just have to get get high on the Anabuse itself." And he started taking all of the and then he just overdosed. There you wow. go. Well done. So. Now this, but there is that drug that just turns off the smoking thing. It's like Wellbutrin or something. Well, that yeah, Wellbutrin is that's a weird one too because you're supposed to take it for two weeks while you're still smoking, and then magically on the fifteenth day, you, you just are supposed to lose your urge. And I took that stuff, and sure enough, it's fourteenth day. I'm smoking like a, you know, like a factory, and no desire to quit. You know, next day I get up and go to work, and it's about noon. I realized I left my cigarettes at home, and I have no idea. That's pretty that cool. Is. Drugs are amazing. They really are. They are. They. I know that it spends. We spend a lot of time on this program talking about drugs, <laughs> but that's really because there is there is no surer route to better living than through chemistry. I mean, that's just a fact. You know what I got on my uh, desk right now, and it's not a drug. Well, I do have drugs on my desk, but also <laughs> uh, someone who uh, asked not to be identified and who won't be uh, actually gave uh, one of those drug identification Bibles. That they use at medical offices. Oh yeah. Dropped off a drug identification bible for the show because they wanted they wanted us to be able to know what the hell we were talking about. So <laughs> if you ever need anything answered, you come to Rick. Uh, I got a whole drug identification bible back there in my office. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, with some more actual news, Dave Schmidt. <laughs> but do story number two. <laughs> oh yeah, you want me to do story number? This is this is good. Story number two. Um, well, tell it as a little bit of a story because in Tampa, Florida, Shannon Shank. I got to be careful with that was pulled over around 1 a.m. Uh, after a deputy said the tag light on his uh, pickup was out. A suspect was arrested after he handed the deputy a bogus ID. Now, it gets interesting. As the deputy was escorting Shank to his patrol car, he noticed the suspect was walking with his knees together as if he were hiding something. The deputy did a more thorough search uh, and said that he felt something hard in the area of the suspect's buttocks. I'm but, sorry. <laughs> You can hit the cough button now. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let's back up for a second. This is the story that I almost threw up. I want to make sure that I revel in every glorious sentence of this. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't. I don't ask this very often. I'm going to ask you just so I can, just so I can sort of savor every morsel of the story. I'm not taking my pants off. Wow. Well, all right. <laughs> Would you settle though for this? Just, uh, just, just start the story again. We'll just do one sentence at a time, all the way through. Okay. Uh, all right. Shannon Shank. Pulled over about 1 a.m., this is in Tampa, Florida, after deputies noticed a tag light on his Ford pickup was out. The uh, suspect was arrested after he handed the deputy a bogus ID. Now, uh, as the deputy escorted Schenck to his patrol car, he noticed the suspect was walking with his knees together, as if he were hiding something. (laughs) Now, en route to the jail... The deputy noticed that Schenck was sweating profusely and appeared to be in a lot of discomfort. That is quoted. Excellent. About six miles west of the jail, there was the sound of glass banging on metal. So the deputy pulled over to check on Schenck. Well, after they pulled old Shannon out of the patrol car, 
he noticed an eight-inch-long glass pipe protruding from some place where it probably shouldn't be. Not only that bad enough, but then upon further inspection, they noticed the glass pipe had broken. Oh, oh, oh. So he was hiding, first of all, an eight-inch pipe. Mm-hmm. Glass. But like a smoking pipe? Yeah. I like a, so. like yeah. a like a like a bong pipe thing? They, uh, it's, uh, quote, a drug pipe. A drug pipe. Mm-hmm. Why would it, I mean, well, I guess maybe, I mean, you go to, the, like, the, 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 the head store or whatever, and, like, you see the, you know, like, the head shop, there's, like, the big bong that's, like, nine feet high, like the same Kinnison model or whatever. But it, but this is, all right, well, so maybe it's that. I don't know. All right, so he decided, I was going to say, how about uh, within the confines of, you know, his ass? Okay. Uh, so the so the pipe is hidden inside his rectum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rectum. Yes, and exactly then the but Correct. so wait a minute but I don't understand this so he got where stop everyone and by everyone I mean me <laughs> yeah he didn't think he was going to get pulled over because idiots never do right idiots mm-hmm. never think that the man is going to catch on to the fact that they got like oh I don't know busted taillight and a fake driver's license yeah. so the the pipe must have been in the car like just sitting in a glove box or something or like he didn't want to like he didn't want them to find it. Yeah. And he didn't. He was just bright enough that he knew you didn't want to do that thing where you throw it out the window because then they'll 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 stop and they'll get it and then they'll find you. Right. So so, but at some point between being pulled over and being taken out of the car, mm-hmm. he was able to squirrel this eight-inch glass pipe away inside his colon. Mm-hmm. Now that's impressive in and of itself. I mean. If you think belt undone, pants unbuttoned, pants down, eight-inch pipe hidden within colon, pants back up and fastened, all before Johnny Law walks from his car to your door. That's swift. It, it takes some dexterity, doesn't it? And, I'm sorry, but like... And I'm going to say, there's no lube here. That's what I was thinking. I'm just like, you're just... That doesn't seem right. No. Wouldn't you rather just take the ticket? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, how much is a car? I mean, really, even in Florida. I mean, unless you have a, unless you have 15 pounds of weed that you're obviously going to be selling. Yeah. How much? Are they, thank you. How much are they possibly going to find you for having a having a, a pipe in your car? It seems like this is really this is a uh, solution, uh, you know, that is worse than the problem, sort of a thing. Well, you know, after they checked him out at the hospital, he went back to jail on charges of possession of drug paraphernalia and possession of a fictitious ID. The ID charge is more serious than the drug paraphernalia. Yeah, now he's, uh, you know, big, I mean, must be said, ass full of glass. I mean, there's just nothing, I mean, you know, I. so, and my other thing is this, it's eight inches. It's a long pipe. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to, That's... I don't mean to work blue here, but. As Sarah pointed out, and Sarah immediately went to the, the there's no lube here. So no, you're the one who said that. I was. But you were thinking. I, I mean, thinking we were both that. thinking it. But I mean, also eight inches. I mean, that's. I mean, what kind of? But I mean, who carries around an this. eight inch pipe? That's this. That's as that, that's as tall as this piece of legal paper. Now, look, glass is what we call as, and I think that's he, something you might have needed to be prepped for. You mean by uh, cuddling first? Yeah. Or perhaps watching a, a, a an saying, erotic I film. I don't think somebody who. This is um. That doesn't seem like something that somebody. I don't know, a norm, not normal, but you know. Got to work your way up to that one, I think. You're saying that you start by hiding a, a one-inch pipe. Yes. And then eventually, the three-inch, 
And then, uh, and then you, you know, uh, as... It does seem that things went horribly awry for him, though. I think that's a little game that he plays at home with his friends. Okay, you be the cop. And, and you know, and my, and my thing is, uh, uh, again, how do I, how do I put this? Um, there are any sorts of devices, any number of devices that are meant to go in any number of places. Now, uh, most of those, I would say, are probably some, at least somewhat flexible because they got to work within the confines of the human form. Glass, not flexible. You know, that's not really, that's not an adjective you think of when you're thinking about something made out of glass. Um, so I'm thinking it's eight inches that doesn't bend at all, that he's immediately got a stash. And I think, by the way, the rigidity of the glass, that's also got to impair the actual hiding, because that's got to go basically straight up. I mean, that's, you know what it is? You've heard about sometimes a square peg into a round hole. This is, uh, this is really more like the, like uh, hitting your spine. Like, yeah, yes, it is. I mean, this isn't even really like, this is like trying to, um, this is like trying to put a regular straw right down straight through one of those bendy, crazy straws. That's what this is like. Except it's not a straw, it's your colon. And also it's a big piece of glass. So then he was able to sort of hobble to the police car. Later, the cops heard the sound of glass breaking. Well, he... it was apparently while he was sitting in the back of the patrol car. Do you have the story? Oh, already... let me see here if I've, if I've got it or I've moved on. I just I want to find, there's, there's one detail in particular that I'm curious about. They got a nice picture of him too. Right. Is it? Uh, you know, see, that's the worst part. You oh, know, he's an unpleasant-looking man. <laughs> now, right. now throughout the nation and the world. All right, let's see here. We have. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, he, listen to this. And they noticed the suspect was walking with his knees together as if he was hiding something in his groin. Wrong side. A report shows the deputy did a more thorough search over Schenck's clothing and said he felt something. This is just the story as I'm. I'm just reading this from the news story. This is a news story. He felt something hard in the area of the suspect's buttocks, so to speak. I think it's buttocks. Sorry. They put the suspect in the car, who appeared to be in a lot of discomfort. About six miles west of the jail, there was the sound of glass banging on metal. See, that's what I don't get right there. What is that? Well, maybe you know, his belt. Maybe he's wearing like a metal on his belt. Those seats are hard back there. Uh, but I'm thinking maybe the handcuffs. Like maybe the handcuffs are banging oh, on the glass it pipe. It, it wasn't still inserted. Then it was like he said it was out, right? Uh, as the deputy removed Shank from the car, he noticed an eight-inch-long glass pipe protruding from Shank's waistband that was covered in. That was going to not read that. Part. Oh, I will. I'll read it. <laughs> See, you're a better person than I'm. I have no. I have no. I don't have any morals. I don't care. Like I have standards on this show. Suddenly, um, an eight-inch glass pipe protruding from Shank's waistband that was covered in fecal matter and blood. Hey, enjoy your lunch, everybody. He was taken back to jail. By the way, and let me just say what everybody is now thinking, as unpleasant as those jail stays uh, might sometimes be, way more so now. And you all know what I mean. All right, it's 503-733-2970. That's a... That's a uh, don't back up severe tire damage area right now. All right. Um, it's fine. And by the way, how'd you like to be the first? Uh, I mean, how do I put this? Um, it seems like if this man is in jail, which he is, it seems like if you were perhaps um, his cellmate or maybe a shower partner, and you decided to uh, you decided to make him the uh, the ma'am of the slam. It seems like you yourself might be in for a little treat, too, the first time you tried to uh, get it on with this guy. 
I'm just, it just seems like, but you know, maybe, but maybe, but you know what, here's the thing, it's like maybe it could work to this guy's advantage, because it does seem, look, it does seem like one way to avoid uh, jailhouse uh, sexual assault is, in fact, to have uh, a rectum that is filled with broken glass. Well, I think they took it out, didn't they? Well, but you never know. I mean, it's like a Pokemon thing. You got to catch them all, uh, or else, uh, you know. All right, let's move on. How about uh, is it time for today's Taser Watch? It's time for today's Taser Watch in the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Schmitke with your Taser Watch. Boulder police shot an 18-year-old man at least four times with a stun gun early Wednesday after receiving a report that he was running into traffic and acting irate. I really wanted to do this story because it ties in so perfectly with what we were talking about. It's another way of dealing with your glass pipe problems. Officers were called to the area of Broadway in Pennsylvania at about 1.22 a.m. And we're in Boulder, that's right, so we're talking Colorado. Uh, after someone called the man carry, uh, called that there, a man was carrying a glass pipe and screaming randomly in the street. When they arrived, officers found a man who told them he was under the influence of the drug known as LSD and was prepared to fight. Well, a spokesperson said after the man refused to cooperate several times, officers shot him with a taser. You know, here's the thing about that. Uh, it, okay, let me ask you this. I'm not saying that anybody in this room has ever done any drugs uh, because, of course, drugs are uh, they're a scourge. And to be uh, resolutely resisted, yes, because someone needs to think of the children and whatever. So, uh, so I'm not saying anybody here has ever uh, done LSD, but do you ever do this? Do you ever see something? LSD scares me. All my friends have done it, and I just, it just freaks me out too much. Like weird, like colors and melting walls and stuff. Not for me. And so, no. No. Okay. See, I didn't know. I wasn't going to ask. Okay. No, I, no. Uh, I just, no, hallucinogenics freak me out. I have too much, like, I have too, too crazy dreams and too crazy thoughts anyway. Like, I don't want anything to amplify that. No, see, that's my thing. It's like, see, that's, I, don't, I don't trust myself. No, nah, you know, but I know, look, I know you were a college student, and I know how college students can be, Sarah. No, and my friends all didn't. They always just thought I was a big pansy because I didn't want to do oh, that. No, there's not a pansy. Look, there's stuff in my head that freaks me out when I'm stone cold sober. Seriously. I mean, look, you, listen, I just, you... Listen to the story about the the rectum and the blood that I was just reading. I mean, that's this is the kind of thing that I that I you know that sort of interests me when I have no intoxicants of any kind in my body. So, the idea that I would here's the thing about the human brain, and I think I speak for Sarah and myself on this. And Dave, I can't necessarily speak for you. You're probably oh, not Dave's crazy. totally done LSD. Look at him. Look I, at that no, face. See, that's not what I was going to say though. Me? Well, you know, it's funny though. If you say it happened in college, it's okay. Have you noticed everything? Well, back in those college days, as in the idea of achieving higher learning offsets, whatever crazy Higher learning? Yeah. <laughs> well, you were trying to expand your consciousness. You were yeah. trying, as Aldous Huxley would say, you were trying to open the doors of perception uh-huh. when you did LSD. For real, man. I mean, was that, was your motivation? I'm not saying someone legally distinct from him did was, it. Uh, was your motivation to achieve, to elevate to a higher plane? No. I skipped into the side of a building and then went, went to go see the movie Gung Ho. There we go. That's... 
I don't think there was anything too... Wasn't too magical. Cerebral about it. And then that. I fell over and I puked. <laughs> yeah. And I vomit my beard. Um, so, okay, so I, I was... Wow. Here's the thing. <laughs> I now wasn't you're visualizing it, aren't you? I wasn't actually even uh, going to ask you, and so I'm glad Sarah did, and then that you answered. I wasn't even going to ask you about that. Um, I what my whole and I'm glad you, I'm glad that she did, and I'm glad that you did. Uh, the point I was going to make is that I can't necessarily speak for Dave on this, uh, it, it, but speaking for my Sarah, Sarah myself, it's like my brain and Sarah's brain, and probably the brains of a lot of people we know. It's sort of like um, my brain, sort of like this big house. And it's uh, a house that has got, you know, it's got all your regular stuff. It's got a dining room, and it's got a kitchen, and it's got, a, you know, whatever. It's got a ping-pong room. But, but then uh, the, the house that is my brain has all of these other sort of flowers-in-the-attic-type rooms that probably you don't want to go into a lot. And there's probably something bad that's been kept in there. And there may be a sort of scary toy box with a clown on the front of it. And then when you open the toy box, something evil comes out and stabs you in the eyes. So those are rooms I try not to go into. And my sense is... That when you take LSD, at least for me, my sense is if I were to take LSD, you lose control over where you're going in the house of your mind and what doors you're opening and inside those rooms what you're looking through. And I think I would probably just end up in a room that is filled with nothing but mechanical spiders. Uh, that's kind of my sense. Uh, and then they would then peel off my skin. And then I would be sitting there on the couch going, oh, whoa, no. And then, like, there would be – but see, and here's the other thing about LSD is that, I mean – I now ask uh, anybody in the room <laughs> who's done LSD. I mean, how long does that last? I, I didn't know. I did it one time and and didn't like it either, quite honestly. And I don't, you know, I don't know what. I'm not even sure what this stuff was, but it didn't seem to last all that long. It wasn't all. I that mean, I know crazy. it's difficult because it warps your your sense of time a little bit. I think. Yeah. Uh, but hey, wait, hold on. Hey, Richie, how long does an LSD trip last? Days. Days. <laughs> All right, you have to come into the studio, please. You gotta play a song. All right, uh, we'll, we'll ask Richie about this because Richie knows about such things and he has no, uh, he has no shame. He doesn't hesitate. All right, so welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. Richie Bristol. Dude. Hey, uh, so you've taken the LSD. Yeah. All right. How long does an LSD trip last? Nine days. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's the longest. He for me. says with certainty. Oh, the longest that you've gone. Okay, I think something went wrong when you took it. I was it on an IV drip that you just kept with you. Was this you? when you ended up no. in the mental institution? He's just roaming the hallways with a drip <gasps> was IV. Was it? No, no. no. Oh, okay. That was only one day. Wait, hold on. But how did you? First of all, how did you ingest the LSD? Uh, very Stamp, crazy. sugar cube. There's, How'd you do it? There's paper. There's sugar. Okay, well, give me like the first time you did it. Uh, paper. Okay, and so you just what? They give you a stamp and then you lick it or whatever. Uh huh. Okay, and then how long did that trip last? A weekend, a couple days. Yeah, but I didn't stop licking it. <laughs> oh, we'll see. But that was okay. So that's the thing is, like, you kept going back and redosing. Yeah, it's generally like eight to sixteen hours spent on. The see, that's trip. okay. That's the thing. See, I don't. That's the thing that is freaky to me about it is like you can't turn it off. Yeah, it's not like true. So like in the first five minutes, if you realize, you know, you ever go to a movie. And you sit there, and you watch the first five minutes of the movie, and you go, this movie looks kind of bad. I think it might suck. And then, oh, I'll give it a few more. And then 20 minutes later, you go, no, 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 that's flat out. This movie sucks. Let's leave. I'm gonna, let's go get a, let's go get a uh, corn dog instead. And you leave, and instead you walk to hot, hot dog on a stick, right? This is like a bad 16-hour movie that you can't turn off or get away from. I mean, it, like if the movie follows you and goes with you everywhere you go, right? Yeah, that's called a bad trip. Yeah, I don't want that. That's so, not like shrooms. No. Well, I mean, see, I don't, I don't, and I wouldn't know, but I, I and I don't. That's the thing. Like, I don't want to lock myself into a six. I don't want to commit myself to 16 hours of something that might be awful if I can avoid it. You know? And the idea that somehow it might be. Because here's my other thing. 
And this is a public service, by the way, to you kids who might be thinking about experimenting with things. You kids don't do drugs. drugs. Uh, uh, be, because Dave didn't care for it. And then you don't do it anymore, presumably, Richie. It's none of my business. Hell but I'm, no. I just got a taunting text message from Jen Lay that just said amateurs. <laughs> well, <laughs> rookies. So my thing, though... Is that like, okay, the the worst case scenario if you take acid, I mean, leaving aside like after school specials where you jump out Art Linkletter's window or something, I mean, if it just, I mean, leaving out all the insane scare stuff uh, and, and leaving out aberrations where you take it once and you end up in a nut hatch, which, you know, most, you know, doesn't happen to, 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 to most people. But the, the worst case scenario if you have a bad LSD trip is what? That you're like sitting there for 16 hours just terrified of everything, right? No, you wake up in the hospital like I did. Well, or in, or or in a mental <laughs> asylum like with Richie. That okay. So okay. So that's that's the worst case scenario. What is the best case scenario of taking LSD? Well, you know they do have trip guides. <laughs> have you heard of trip guides? Well, it's not like a Timothy Leary guy that sits with you are a living, breathing organism. Yeah, yeah. They used a to have trip them at guide, uh, really. Yeah, they used to have them at Dead concerts. It's like Anthony Bourdain, but he doesn't. Oh, bathe. that's genius. Did you used to go to Dead concerts? Uh, you know, I never went one. Went to one recreationally. I, as a news reporter, I would cover them when I was. I worked in Eugene for eleven years. So yeah, ah. Dead concerts. And yeah, they would have the White Bird tent. Which is, you know, White Bird is a medical, uh, kind of like uh -huh. the Cheers van. Uh -huh. And um, people who were kind of going in the wrong direction with their trip, they'd bring them in there. And that's exactly it. They'd have a guy sit there and, and uh, you, are, you are living, you are processing oxygen, you are wonderful, you're good, you're great, you're wonderful, that kind of See, thing. See, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I have to tell you that I'm envisioning, I'm envisioning like, I'm envisioning like the trip guide where he's like Rick Steves, but in like one of those pointy wizard hats, like Mickey Mouse wears, like in Fantasia. So it's like Rick Steves. That seems like it would be nightmare inducing. But like with like lots of body hair and he stinks and he's like. Hey, and wearing cool. fairy wings. Totally. Um, and so there's that also. We can talk about the trip guides and how it's like it. You know, the, the, some guy. No, you are processing oxygen. You are here. Any. Ailment or problem for which the cure must come from a hippie, by definition, is something I don't want. I the, seriously, how bad have you have you messed up when you're you're in a situation where you need hippies to help you out? You've chosen so badly at that point. Like you should just be taken out of the gene pool right then and there. But there's love. Whatever. Uh, the best experience. Sexual. Well, okay. So that was going to be my question: Is what is the best case scenario when you've taken LSD? <laughs> A fun party. All right, so now you have to explain. When was the last time you did LSD, what, yeah. Oh, man. What year is this? 2009. Do I have to count the years or is it, say, a year, like 2000, uh, 1992 or something? So this was you and, and, like, 93. what, a bunch of people? Yeah, at a rave in a, in a garage. A rave. All right, well. In a okay. parking garage. All right. yeah, I was going to say a rave in a garage, but it's like you and six people. <laughs> I was like, you can't afford German techno Dancing over cycling <laughs> bins. No, we were on a big couch. I was picturing him like the Star Wars kid in that video, but like with a mirror ball sort of. And Richie, just like one guy, <laughs> raving. Yeah. So it was, okay, okay, so it's a rave in like a big warehouse kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, how much, and so how many people there total? Ah, uh, hundreds. All right. And so uh, were you the only one that was high on that, or was everybody else uh, taking the ass? Everybody I could see was. All right. And so then how, to be discreet here, but how did you move from the raving portion to the... Uh, sexy or, portion. The, the orgy. Uh, now for sexy time. There was like 10 of us on a big round couch, and we were all melting together and melting. Wow. <laughs> So this is like one time at Burning Man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and somehow we ended up at my apartment. It was great. It's good that you all Nothing managed to drive together. home together. Uh, Let me get in the van. Hold on. Where Look are my keys? Look how bright that green light is. <laughs> Look at the red light.
You're like, this is like a friend of mine who told me about driving to driving from God from where I think about it from here driving from Portland to Vegas on mescaline and and he was just like yeah it was really hard mescaline mescaline is a powerful hallucinogenic that comes from peyote okay uh, Hunter Thompson writes about it a lot yeah it just sounds like uh, fear and loathing and uh, exactly. And he but he was like, and it sounds like such a cliche, but he was like, it was really hard because you couldn't tell what the stoplights were. And I was like, you know, it's one of those things that is only sort of funny in retrospect because he did not kill himself or anybody else. Uh, but, it, but I just can't fathom. I mean, it's just, and the whole, the idea of you like, and a bunch of people humping it out. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad it yeah. went well. But I mean, doesn't that seem like a thing that could also go really badly where suddenly you're in the wall and there's a giant, uh, like, vagina flower uh, that is just, you know, like, keep it away, you know, and it's, it's like a big toothy uh, sort of, you know, it's, it's a big toothy appendage coming at you. Or you find the glass pipe. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. So, all right. Good God Almighty. We learn from our mistakes. I just, one final note here is Chris Paddock and I were talking about, I swear to God, this is true, Chris Paddock and I were talking about mescaline a while back because... Uh, a friend of ours was uh, bitching about the sex ed class they were ki- that her kid was in, and we were talking about what they what they teach kids in school now versus what they taught us in school then. And I said that when I was in school, and they were teaching us, hey kids, don't do drugs. Drugs are for you know quitters never win, and winners don't quit or whatever it is, and they don't do drugs. And it was during the whole just say no era. This is absolutely true. But when I was in school. The textbook, and this is a science textbook they gave us, and it had the big don't do drugs chapter. The science book they gave us when I was in, I think, seventh grade, it's actually amazing that I never did decide to take mescaline because the book made it sound fantastic. (laughs) I remember being in seventh grade and reading the school textbook in a Catholic school, no less. So it's real strict. And they were talking about mescaline. And they described mescaline. Here's the section I will always remember. They said... They said, users of mescaline on KCMD Portland, users of mescaline can sometimes see music and hear paintings. And even as a seventh grader, I remember thinking, that is effing righteous. I got to do some of that. (laughs) Uh, And then I never did. You know, all my my siblings were like kind of a bad roadmap. My siblings were sort of a what not to do guide. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like what not to wear. All my siblings were like how not to live in every aspect of your life. You know, don't join a cult. Don't get expelled for selling drugs. Don't live in a school bus and deal meth. <laughs> uh, so, so I never did. But it's, but it, but it is kind of amazing that more kids didn't because the description of mescaline sounded was sounded wonderful, you know. So I got a whole list of things that I'm going to start trying when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm a, when I'm an old uh, unemployed guy. Well, I think when you're, you know, when you hit a certain age, I mean, why not? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm a strong proponent of that, and I think my idea has already been lifted by the, uh, uh, by the Little Miss Sunshine movie. I think they kind of took because I've been saying forever that it's like as soon as I hit like seventy. You know, you start small, and then by the time I'm 80, I am just mainlining crack and heroin together right into my eyes. You know, just right into my eyeball. That's it. Because who cares? You're 80. F it. I mean, put me in jail. I don't care. So, all right. Uh, thank you, Richie Bristol. Yay. All right, we'll do a few more here, and we'll take a break. All right. All right, Dave. I won't ask you any more about your sexual and uh, drug exploits. Well, uh, I don't mind. I'm, I'm okay. Never mind. He did Dave? say that he was Night Romeo. <laughs> Mid, Midnight Romeo. Night, yeah, Night Romeo. Midnight Romeo. But you know, undercover fantasy. <laughs> I can't remember how the rest of that goes. This is interesting, though. Boys in the United States with common names like Michael and David are less likely to commit crimes than those named Ernst or Ivan. Who? First of all, no one's names. No one's name is Ernst at this point. 
Ernst, like the hardware store? Oh, wait a minute. Ernest. Oh, Ernest. <laughs> my arms aren't long enough anymore. And, you know, by the way, I'll take names that nobody in my generation would ever name their kid unless they were a cool Ernest. bastard for a thousand. Like, because Jim Varney has broken the Ernest mold uh, for everybody. Sarah's too young to remember uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, but the Ernest movies? Boy, what a weird time that was in American history. That's a blink and you miss it kind of a thing. Because you know what? People before a certain age don't know about Ernest. People after a certain age don't know about Ernest. People between the ages of, I would say, 32 and maybe 45 mm-hmm. are familiar with all the Ernest Blank movies. Ernest Goes to Camp. Ernest uh, Goes to the Gaza Strip. Ernest, uh, you know, uh, Ernest, uh, you know, graduates from college. Ernest, whatever. I mean, Ernest joins the military. Just all of these movies starring Jim Varney, who is, by the way, a classically trained actor who once uh, <laughs> once played uh, Hamlet, I think. And then it ends up doing that, and then he got cancer, and then he then he died. So there you go. That's how your life can sometimes work out if you're not very careful. Hey, uh, hey, Vern, look at me. I'm a Shakespearean actor. Hey, Vern, I'm dead, and will be remembered as a bumbling boob. Jesus. Hey, Vern, a room of life. Jesus, God Almighty. So uh, don't name your kids Ernest. What else do we have on the name? Okay, list? well, the University of Pennsylvania compared the first names of male juvenile delinquents to the first names of male juveniles in the population. Uh, researchers constructed a popularity name index. It's known as the PNI for each name. For example, the PNI for Michael is 100, the most frequently given name during the time period. The PNI for David is 50, a name given half as frequently as Michael. Um, the PNI is approximately one for names such as Alec with a C, Ernest, Ivan, Kareem, and Malcolm. Results, the results show that regardless of race, juveniles with unpopular names are more likely to engage in criminal activity. Uh, the least popular names were associated with juvenile delinquency See, along both blacks. And I think now Malcolm is a name that, for some reason, that's a name that rings uh, trustworthy to me. I mean, no matter who it is, there was a, there's a sales guy uh, upstairs, uh, Malcolm. Yeah. Malcolm. You know what? Malcolm's the name. You know what it is? Because it's good. It's a good. It's a good. Um, it's a good two syllable. It's a hard two syllable name, and it's got the k sound in it. Uh, yeah. And that's a, it's just a very linguistically pleasing name. Malcolm is. I got any kids? I mean, did I might consider Malcolm? That's a good name. I, that's an altogether – but, you know, stories like this are fascinating because that's what those uh, Freakonomics guys did. Mm-hmm. And I cannot recommend this book strongly enough. If you've never read Freakonomics, and let me tell you this, I know, like, jack about math. Zero. Like, my math knowledge is so it, – it's just – it's non-existent. I have negative math knowledge. So it's not really about math. It's just about how you can use numbers to prove anything beyond a shadow of a doubt. The, the whole theory of Freakonomics is that there is a critical mass of information at which point – you can prove something, period, beyond debate. So the whole the guys who wrote Freakonomics, their whole deal is, well, if you got one piece of information, you can kind of guess. Two pieces of information, maybe it's an educated guess. Three pieces of information, it's a theory. But you get to, like, da 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 X pieces of information, you now have enough information to say definitively, this is true because of this. And they got uh, famous for a couple studies. One, the Freakonomics guys were the ones who proved Beyond a shadow of a doubt, they, they proved through the use of mathematics that people who have, quote, black-sounding names, uh, when, they do, uh, when they would do job interviews, even over the phone, they would be turned down uh, for the job. Uh, regardless of qualifications, all things being equal, they would be turned down for the job over the phone much more frequently than people that had, quote, white-sounding names. And the Freakonomics guys were the ones who proved that that was happening. Uh, so they, it's really just a fascinating book because it analyzes a lot of stuff like this. First of all, and by the way, I got to say, Ivan is. We work with an Ivan too. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. that's another cool name. 
I would talk, if I had a kid, I might totally name him Ivan. You know what Ivan is? Ivan is a name that strikes fear into people. Well, it's it, my son Ivan. It used to in in, in history, certainly. That's yeah. true. The yeah. Russians. Yeah. All right. Ivan the Terrible. All right. Uh, here's Dave Schmicky, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you know, just just to wrap this one up, while the names are, are likely not the cause of crime, researchers argue that they are connected to factors that increase the tendency to commit crime, such as disadvantaged home environment, residents in a, in a county with low socioeconomic status, and hold households run by one parent. Well, that's, so, yeah. you know, if you've got a name as, you know, Billy Bob Jolene or something like that, there's a, there's a chance maybe that you might. That, they also talk about that as well because somebody said, well, are you saying that a name makes you act a certain way? Like if you name your kid, uh, you know, I don't know. Sarah, trashiest female name that comes to mind. Um, Tiffany? No, it isn't trashy. Uh, uh, stripper Candy? Name. Candy. With an I, like Andy. Yeah. If you, yeah. Name, your, if you name your daughter Candy... I mean, the odds are she'll end up either as a stripper, the roommate of a stripper, uh, or married to a deadbeat guy who actually spends all his money on a stripper when she's not around. And so the Freakonomics guy said, well, what are you, are you saying? That, like, if you name your child this, it, they're going to turn out as this? And they made, they, it's just what you said, they made the opposite point. It's not, it's not that, like, naming your kid, uh, you know, it, it, like Billy Bob Joe Jack, it's not that that makes him, uh, like, uh, you know, a hick. Uh, you know, and a guy who ends up like, you know, like uh, carrying around boxes of nails at the, cra- at the at like the Cracker Barrel store. It's not that. It is that uh, that slice of the demographic, that slice of the American population, which is most likely to produce the guy who carries around a bag of nails at the Cracker Barrel store. They are also just the most likely to name their son Billy Bob Joe Jack. Right. So that's the deal. So it's an indicator. It is not, it is correlative, not causative. I love this show. I love everything about it. I love you, Dave Schmicky, and I'm not on drugs. <laughs> well, well, I'm on I some love drugs. love you, too. Rick. I'm only on the good drugs. <laughs> well, this is the perfect segue, because we, we naturally have to talk about Jessica Simpson now. Well, I mean, we don't have to. No, no, we have to. Okay. No, that was The sound of silence right there, was that was silent ascent, is what that was. You bring it on. <laughs> All right, well. Let's just talk about her from here down. Though. Okay. Well, uh, that's actually what we're going to talk about, you know. Uh, yeah. Many Jessica Simpson fans simply, you know, love her a little more when there's a little bit more of her to love. Um, apparently, uh, Jessica Simpson is the new poster girl for weightism. Uh, apparently, the sexy star's new look stirs controversy over celebrity worship and body image. I don't know if you've seen her lately, but um, she has put on a little bit of weight. See, now, are these the same photos that, were these the photos you were showing me, Sarah? Mm-hmm. See, because I, I, have, I have to say I have no problem with that. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. She's got a lantern jaw. I mean, she's like trap jaw from the He-Man cartoons. There's no getting around that. I mean, that jaw is like, she's got a cyborg, uh, that the lower half of her face was bolted on uh, at like the, uh, the Cyberdyne, the, the, like computer company or whatever. I think it's kind of nice because, you know, if you ever... Meet someone who's a celebrity. The first thing most people notice is that they are much smaller than you think they are. Yeah, I I have to say, uh, and you know, I I don't know. Maybe get maybe my opinion differs from that of other people, but I I don't I have no problem with that. These are because Sarah had found this is on the Gawker, wherever you found all those photos I think of Jessica so, yeah. Simpson. And so I mean, what was your well, and what was your take on those photos? Because I don't I think it's like that's like a lot of ado about nothing. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello? My, I don't mean to interrupt whatever you're doing. Me talk to you I now. Reading, I was reading a story on ah. Mark. I'm sorry. Well, she's really she's really with the program. Jessica today. Simpson. Yes, that. What? <laughs> Who? I don't know. Oh, what are you talking what about? What I was asking. What's my um, name? And you we haven't were talk- done... We were talking about 
Somebody get her into the White Dove room. <laughs> um, the, uh, we were talking about Jessica. No, but are these the, because he's talking about Jessica Simpson, are these the photos that you showed me the other day? Yes, and they're, yeah, I have them see, on my website. I have no issue with how well, she looks I know you do, because you like your girls fuller figured. Yeah, you know, but it's not, but see, it's not just that. See, that's the thing. Like, I suspect, this is just my suspicion, that these, these so-called, like, normal, thin uh, uh, Jessica Simpson, like the one that's on the left, here's the thing. My theory about girls like that, when guys say, no, 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 look at this, where she's all, you know, where she's really slender, but she's, because, you know, the deal is she's slender, but she's got the big rack or whatever. My Even theory, her boobs look smaller because the rest of her has gotten so much bigger. My thing, though, is, like, the girls that are really thin, guys are attracted. <laughs> that's a bad oh, That's a beautiful uh, that's a picture there. Pose. Sticking out her tongue, that's no good. And look, I mean, come on, that's not good. But, you know. Oh, but, yeah, I didn't notice the arms. I mean, here's the thing. If you were to actually ask guys, and the thing is, the girls have to be naked, really, for this to work. Uh, because those, like, when you get, like, the really, like, skinny girls they put in magazines, the girls that other women always are, like, insisting are really gorgeous, my thing is, you get those, like, skinny girls undressed, and it's, like, a whole different story. Because, you know what, a really skinny, and look, and guys know this to be true, and maybe they, maybe this is the sort of thing guys can't say out loud, or maybe, like, at your workplace you can't talk about this. No guy wants to be able to see your rib cage when your shirt is off. I mean, it's, it's they just don't. If a guy, and I've heard from, it, guys aplenty will tell you that. They're like, if I can see your rib cage or your spine, and I have a friend of mine, actually, uh, somebody we know, who actually says, he's like, look, if I can see your collarbone, you are leaving my house. Like, I, I don't want to see any more of you. Uh, he's like, if you're, the bones in the front of you are well-defined, I shouldn't be able to. Well, you're pulling the skin down. That's different, I'm not. though. <laughs> yeah, you are. You're pulling, yeah, right there. No, that's my shirt. Oh, but that's not what I'm seeing. But that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. I guess uh, the ones that like. No, you know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking. Heroin chic. It's like you know uh, who? What's her? That Misha Barton girl is a good example. um, Rachel Zoe. Like you can see like or like Nicole Richie. You can see what is this like her clavicle? You can see all these like really big exactly. No, no, no. I'm not talking about this here. I'm talking about like the. The dip, like here. You know, when it's sunken in, it's completely. And you know, like, and I hate the. Exa- wait, here's another thing. And you can sometimes see this on skinny girls, uh, like and it's actresses usually. It's like a Desperate Housewives type actress where they're way too, like, they're just bony and unappealing. And they've got, like, the mental thing where, like, but I can't put on a pound. I know I'll try to get the bright, shiny object of breast implants. That will distract everybody from the fact that I'm hideous. And so then what happens is you get these women, and their publicist will let them go out like this for some reason. Plunging neckline, and then they got like the big implants that are immobile, but then down between the implants, it looks like they've had heart surgery because it's like you can just see the rib cage line right down the middle. Here's a little FYI. That's hideous. And that ain't just me speaking, by the way. Guys, as a rule, don't find. Now, look, there are guys, guys on both ends of the spectrum, but no guy wants a girl waiting to see your ribs. It's just ugly. So, Jessica Simpson. Is, there's other things about her I don't find that attractive, but mm-hmm. you know the thing is, you know, and guys do this too. But women get online and they love to make catty comments about Jessica Simpson as she looks in that photograph there, where she's where she's all fat and whatnot. Here's a little FYI that everybody needs to know. You and I both, and I'm speaking to the, to, to men now. The we mile. we all know uh, that if we all know that if you went home and your dude roommate had a girl that looked like that sitting on the couch, and you know was about to like give it up to him or whatever. You you know that you'd you know later you'd be like, is that the, that girl really? You, you know did she 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 stayed? Did you get that? Did you get it done? And then he'd say, yeah. You go, well done. Did you get that done? You know what I'm saying? Like if you went home and your room your roommate had that girl on the couch, you would totally you would call that one in the win column. He's so romantic. 
I'm just saying, I'm just saying what guys know to be true and what and what people will say publicly, two different things. Here's another a quick example, then we'll break. You remember uh, when Britney Spears, uh, she had her big uh, f- failed comeback at the VMAs a couple years ago because she was drunk and couldn't lip sync? Mm-hmm. And there was a whole, like, she looks fat and horrible. And she was clearly wearing an outfit that was many sizes too small. There's mm-hmm. no getting around that. I mean, that was, she did not have the body for that outfit. But then again, almost nobody does. You go back and you look at the look at the video. Uh, of of Britney at the VMAs. I'm talking about the way she was walking or the way she was singing. You go back and look at Britney at the VMAs, and you just take a snapshot of it. And you look at it, and you ask yourself, "You're some, you know, if you're some guy, and that girl comes up to you in the bar and wants to go home with you, you and all your guy friends would call that a plus. You'd all call that a thumbs up." Uh, it, it, so I realize that doesn't play as well when you're on like Defamer or whatever. But just saying, somebody must, somebody has to, somebody has to be on the eat a sandwich side of things. So I'm now speaking for all my eat a sandwich brethren. What annoys me about her is that she didn't make her money from being an eat a sandwich kind of girl. No, that's true. I mean, like, come on, she's like shaking her ass, like uncovered ass and like those bad Dukes of Hazard movies and videos and everything. She's just made her all of her money on her body. So you know what? I'm allowed to make fun of her. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. She should be eaten alive by fire ants. Yeah. I mean, we can all agree on that. And you can tell that she's just deeply stupid. I would just like to think that in a post-Jennifer Connelly, Kate Winslet world, uh, that everybody would kind of get the memo. Well, because they have something else to offer. Like well, Jessica Simpson has nothing. No, I understand that, but for the purposes of uh, a guy point of view, that's not important. <laughs> I'm trying to speak for you and your sisters here, Sarah. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway. She's no sister of mine. Uh, is the final proof of this? Uh, and then we'll, I don't know who's on who's on the phone here. Is that Dennis? All right, we'll break. We'll come back. Uh, is that really? Did we schedule Steve like ten minutes ago? Yes. Oh, it's so awkward. Hold on a second. Hello, Steve <laughs> Castendam. How are you? I'm laughing. Oh, that's so awkward. I didn't even realize. I'm sorry. You know, that's my fault for not even looking at the phone. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually... It's, <laughs> Hello, Steve Kastenbaum. How are you? <laughs> You're cracking me up, but I really want to... As much as I want to get in on, on this topic of conversation, I, I somehow I feel like I would be violating... Uh, some sort of CNN, uh, you know, doctrine or something. No, no, no. Like you know, you're talking about it as an observer of celebrity culture. It's news. Yeah, I, I really want to inject personal opinion, though. Well, here's the thing. You can do that on this program, and I won't tell anybody. Uh, but while you're pondering it, I'll say the sentence I was going to say, and then we'll, then we'll move on if, if you don't want to talk about it. I was going to say, unless anybody out there think that this is just a Rick thing, and I know Sarah has pointed out, um, occasionally women will come into the studio as guests, and Sarah will be kind enough to point out sometimes in their presence uh, that they are, in fact, my type, uh, mm-hmm. just because things aren't awkward, because I'm not enough of a gibbering nerd around women. So, so, the, uh, you know, so the unpleasantness has to be ratcheted up. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, by the way. I'm especially not thinking of anybody in particular. Uh, that was sitting next to you yesterday that you had to resist touching? See, why do you say things like that? <laughs> you are an instigator, Sarah Dillon. Anybody. Uh, anyway. Sorry, so, it's just, I, I was just making sure that you weren't going to paw her. I was not going <laughs> to... Cut out your eyes. Uh, Eric, you someone named his baby after you? Moving on. So lest anybody think uh, lest anybody think that this is just a Rick thing or that I'm just speaking for myself, while I don't claim that it's true for everybody everywhere, you do yourself a little experiment. You ever want to find out that I'm right about this? If you want to ask yourself, how right is Rick Emerson? Here's how you can tell. You go line up a whole bunch of guys. Just find yourself just some dudes. Um, they could be movie nerds. They don't have to be. Find yourself a bunch of dudes. You hold up a picture of Jennifer Connelly uh, era... Um, I don't know, like uh, Requiem for a Dream era Jennifer Connelly. How about this? How about Inventing the Abbots era Jennifer Connelly? Okay. And then you hold up a picture of Jennifer Connelly now. And leaving aside issues of age, it's not about age at all, because she, uh, she still looks very young. 
Leaving aside issues of age, you hold up a picture of Jennifer Connelly's body now versus Jennifer Connelly's body then. You ask every single guy you meet which Jennifer Connelly's body he prefers, and the overwhelming majority will pick the Jennifer Connelly uh, that was heavier. And that's just a fact. So that's what we call a scientific fact here in the uh, broadcasting industry. All right, Steve Kastenbaum, now that you've had time to ponder it, please weigh in with your own personal thoughts. You know what I will add to this conversation? Uh, Hmm. We are in the season of uh, spring college internships, Uh, not just here at CNN. Oh, I like where this is going. Throughout the corporate world. One thing that, uh, for some reason, college students don't learn before they enter the corporate work environment is uh, what is appropriate dress? for the workplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because every once in a while you'll see a woman take aside an intern and let them know that, yeah, you may not want to wear that skirt in the newsroom. <laughs> that, uh, that is uh, something that maybe is weekend attire. But here in the business environment, we find that it's better to be a little more professional. And you know, and and you see, and you see, like you know, the, the twenty-year-old, and and they're very proud because they probably went out and spent a lot of money at a nice store on on some designer clothing for work that they thought was you know good clothing, you know, because they're usually just wearing sweats or jeans all the time, you know. Right. And then they got to be told that uh, that 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 neckline is a bit too plunging uh, for a newsroom where a dignitary from the UN might be walking in. Um, let me. I'll just tell you this. Uh, and uh, this person no longer works here, so I can tell the story. Although I won't use their name. There was a. I'll put it this way. There was, uh, at one point, a female employee here uh, at CBS Radio Portland who is no longer here. And again, I will not identify her in any way. Uh, but there was a female employee here who repeatedly, I mean always, always was coming to work dressed. I mean, I, 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 and I got the feeling that it was all very innocent. I got the feeling that she somehow just didn't. It wasn't like she was uh, one of those girls who was like, "Hey, I need to be looked at, so I'm going to dress a certain way because I got to get attention." Like one of those kind, of, like a, like a girl you see at a club, like one of those club girls that is right. just desperate for every guy to pay attention to her, and so right. she showers herself in body glitter and then wears like a thong. This this wasn't that. I got the feeling that she just had always dressed a certain way, probably through college, and then just didn't really transition into the workplace into a different set of clothes. So, and so she would come to work and she would have these shorts on. And she was very, uh, she was t- had very long legs. And so she would wear these shorts that were just like, they weren't cutoffs. I mean, they were like, you know, just shorts like from off the rack or whatever. But they were so unbelievably short as to defy description. It looked like she ought to have been ra- like roller skating up to your car with a snow cone. Um, and then she would wear an unbelievably tight, like minuscule tank top. And then she would wear these boots that went like up past her knee. And that was it. And like that was her. And that was like Monday through Friday, nine to five, working in an office. And when I say office, I don't mean she was like down, like working on uh, like stickers for the radio station or something. I mean like greeting clients and so Ooh. forth, which oh, the clients well, probably enjoyed. But at some point, uh, I do know that someone here had to bring her in and sit her down and say, "Look, um, nobody can get anything done because." And by the way, the reason the conversation eventually had to be had with this person is because. She would come into work, and she would be wearing some very, very, very skimpy outfit, and she was, uh, I would say, an aesthetically pleasing young lady. She would come into work in some outfit that barely covered anything, and the word would kind of filter out through the dude whisper stream. And within five minutes, all the du- it was like a pheromone being released or something, or like that hundredth monkey thing where they all somehow learned to wash potatoes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Every guy in the building within about five minutes ago, 
I uh, just so you know, so and so is uh, wearing something a little special today. Yeah, it's those pants. <laughs> no, and the shirt doesn't even. No, you can see her navel. No, we should. Okay, so just see, pass it on. And then over the course of the day, you would see a steady stream of guys finding an excuse to go by and hang out at her desk for a while. Just like how when we have a guest of whatever note in the studio, you can sometimes, Sarah and I will look over and we'll see like people up against the glass like moths to a flame because they want to talk to whoever we've got in the studio. You know, like, hey, Henry Rollins is in there. Let's go stand outside. And so all the guys here at work at CBS, they would just go stand next to this girl's desk and pretend to be, you know, talking to her about business matters. And like, meanwhile, their desks are empty and nothing is getting done. So they right. finally had to just tell this woman, like, cover up for the love of God. And then she left. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and I want to make sure your listeners understand, I'm not a conservative-thinking individual when it comes to, you know, outward appearances. You know, I mean, I do long-distance biking, and I, and I wear, you know, the, the, the tight uh, bike uh, shorts, right? You know, so, and, so I'm not shy, okay, let's just say. But uh, I'm not wearing that outfit into work, right. you know? And yeah. Steve, Steve Kastenbaum is not a prude. You are a uh, you're a you're a free thinking and you're an open minded individual. I very much am. Yes. But but I just know that when you're going to work at a place, especially a place uh, you know with a uh, with uh, the name cachet around the world such as CNN, that you just you just should be dressing a certain way. Maybe leave your uh, belly chain at home. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what are we presumably talking about today? I, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> Excellent win. Um, well, real, we'll just make it kind of brief here. Uh, we got to skedaddle. We spent all this time talking about boobs and whatnot. Um, so you've been. For the record, I did not talk about that. No, that was that was me. You were very circumspect. Thank you. Thank um, you very much. The, the uh, so I'll just read this here. It says in this terrible job market, and they don't even they don't even bother to like hide it anymore to sort of soft sell it. They're like you know now that everything is swirling around the toilet. <laughs> Um, but it, but it says that there are companies hiring great places to work. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum, what's a great place to work right now that's hiring? Well, you know, do you want to look just for pay? For like what places are paying a lot of money? Let me ask you this. Let me, let's yeah. go right now for the intersection of uh, pay and I could possibly get a job there. I mean, in other words, for the average person, for the average guy in the street, let's say the solid, you know, the middle of the bell curve, is mm. there any place hiring right now that the average American worker would have a reasonable shot of getting on at? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't think there is. Oh, well, the <laughs> well, end. Uh, well, I'm looking at Fortune Magazine's top 100 companies to work at list, uh, and, uh, and, they, and I'm looking at the section where they break it down to pay, right, which is mm -hmm. what I was focusing on today. And if your mom ever told you to be a, a, a lawyer or a doctor, man, did she know what she was talking about. Uh, the, the top five companies for pay on this list are either law firms or uh, a hospital. And, and all the law firms, the associates at, at these law firms, uh, Bingham and McCutcheon, if you're an associate there, you're making uh, on average $256,000 a year. You're working like 12 to 16-hour days uh, at the start, but you're still earning a lot of money. Uh, and then the Lehigh Valley Hospital and Health Network, the average physician there is being paid $244,000. Wow. <laughs> wow. You, should, there, you know, uh, uh, there is an interesting sidebar in this about people from – a wholly different section of the American workforce who are then going back to study to be doctors and lawyers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, because somewhere right now there probably is a guy whose job was like wrapping loaves of Wonder Bread or something, and now he's like, well, like, clearly I have to become a copyright lawyer, you know, or whatever. He's just, you know, or, or some guy, what was your job yesterday? Well, I put the caps on toothpaste tubes. What about today? I'm studying to become a heart surgeon. Hey, you know what you could do? Actually, this is uh, within reach if you take a few classes. 
at eBay, a software engineer gets paid 129,000. Really? Yeah. Hey, mobile. T-Mobile managers get 120 grand. Maybe that's maybe that's another thing you could you could analyze you could look for. What is the easiest job to attain that pays 100 grand or more? Yeah, I'm looking at this list and I'm thinking about going back to school. Uh, Microsoft software development engineer, 112,000 bucks. See, you know, and uh, here I know that everybody all, all through my adolescence, you got to become a lawyer, and I'm really glad I didn't because even now I don't know that I could stomach doing it. I think it would just I think I would just uh, mm. I would just have to. Uh, no, I, I just have to drink myself into oblivion every night if I was a lawyer. I just don't think I could live with myself. But, but, uh, but it does, you know, it does bear repeating. Uh, you know, that uh, when your uh, guidance counselor comes in and says, you might want to consider something stable that pays well. Don't dismiss that out of hand, kids. You might <laughs> consider going for that. Listen to the voice of experience on those things. Hey, I, I found two that I think anybody can do mm. that, that pay well. Publix supermarkets store manager, hundred, almost one hundred and ten thousand dollars. Okay. That's that's a pretty good gig. Probably anybody can do that. All you have to do is just, uh, you know, tell Morgan Freeman when to go pee. You know, you know what's going to happen now. We're going to start getting the calls in. You know that Steve Kastenbaum guy at CNN just put down all <laughs> supermarket managers. Dear <laughs> CNN, I was very offended at some of your content earlier today. No, but 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 for that, you know, I mean, uh, a college education may not necessarily uh, be a requirement. You work your you work your way up through the ranks. You know, you start as a stock boy and then become an assistant night manager or something like that, and you work your way up. Um, but and then the other one, which looks like something that uh, you know requires very uh, minimal retraining. Uh, how about a diabetes field sales representative at Novo Nordisk? Is that where you're just like off selling pins or people jab themselves with? I'm not 100% sure, but that pays $102,000. Excellent. I'm there. All right. I'm going to fill out that application today, sir. There you go. All right. Thank you, my friend. As always, a pleasure. We will talk to you uh, tomorrow. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. There you go. See what I did there, Sarah? When I say we'll talk to you tomorrow, I then inflect upward ever so slightly at the end, leaving the door open for him to clarify or correct me. I am proud of you. Well, I'm so trying to are you going to be on tomorrow? Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good do you feel about that? See, so I'm... I'm leaving it up to uh, leaving it up to Steve now. He can now clarify that if I am, and he can give me the correct information. Hmm. That's pretty good because the other option is we'll see you tomorrow, and he could say no, and then it's all awkward, and then you look yeah. silly. All right. Did you cut your hair? I did like I don't know a week ago. No, 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 no. I'm not talking. I'm not that guy. You and I talked <laughs> about that haircut. I'm saying last night. This okay? No, but I, I blew dry it straight. I don't usually do that. Wait, where? No, it's good. It's just that you're... Uh, never mind. My bangs? No, nah, see, here's the thing. If we start talking, then it's going to look like I'm sitting here obsessing over your hair, and I'm really not. I just wanted to say, here's the thing. Your headphones are on in just... That, and okay. No, i got to make the observation. Your headphones are on in just such a way that right here on this side of you, uh-huh. uh, you're, you're right. Your hair looks like it is uh, just almost like it's like just like almost page boy length, kind of. Like, not that look. It's just an interesting look. Not bad. Just uh, Just interesting. <laughs> I think you would have noticed by now, though. Yeah. All right. It's kind of weirding me out for a minute. All right. Uh, Back after this uh, with uh, more of your phone calls. Dave Schmidtke will join us for the remainder of this hour. Then he'll be off to parts unknown, known, known. Later on, uh, we'll talk to Dan Hanico from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Jen Lane. Oh, and i got to try to play this Tom Savini interview today. So stay there. It's a Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. 
733-2970. Don't forget, later on today, we announce the Glorious Bastard of the Week. And by the way, the Glorious Bastard of the Week is going to win something fantastic, and it really is fantastic. $200 value. It is the 30th anniversary Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader statue. It is the uh, Kotobukaya Star Wars statue. Things from another world. Uh, one of our uh, fine partners in commerce. Things from another world. Uh, you can find out more about it. TFAW.com slash Rick. TFAW.com slash Rick. And also one random on-air color today wins the uh, vinyl collectible Star Wars statue of the clone trooper. So, uh, and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, once again at the news desk, Dave Shanky. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Well, you know, this is a perfect story, actually. This is in our a Geek Watch, uh, talking about Star Wars. Uh, if you are into Star Wars, oh. and indeed... Oh, we got to start. We have Sorry, our sounder. Oh, we got to do that first? Okay. Oh, here we go. High-speed modem is incredibly slow. That's much in better. Limit, remember, you used just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but... Because we were wondering if the quantum flux... And just listen, on there, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Just a brief note here before we do the actual story. Every time we play that uh, that Geek Watch Open, has a lot of sound for the movie Galaxy Quest with Tim yeah, Allen. Great Ship. movie. Fantastic movie. <laughs> Love yes. that movie. Uh, you know what somebody ought to do the next time, like a Comic-Con, t- you know, like a, a comics festival comes through town? They ought to set up a Galaxy Quest booth. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Where, like, you can put on, like, the little head thing that, the, that the, what, what did Alan Rickman wears? And they will actually, you know, and you can get your picture taken, uh, like, next to, like, the ship or something. Or they can have, like, the red shirt that the guy wears, you know, that he's, I'm, you know, I am going to get killed. (laughs) By Grapthar's hammer. What's a savings? All right. That is great. Dave Schmicky with your geek watch. Well, you know, if you're into Star Wars and you uh, like your shoes, you might want to check on a pair of the Adidas Superstar Force Trainers. Oh, yeah. They're new. They're available for a limited time. And they have two looks. The black, which are Darth Vader-influenced, and the lighter shade, which is inspired by Yoda. Now, wait, 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 wait. They just look like right? shoes to me. Wait, you're saying Darth Vader and Yoda? Yeah. Now, I was to understand... Okay, here's the thing. I had a big discussion about this with somebody this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we do... Every other Sunday, we do this thing called CBS Radio Theater, which is a live radio drama written by, produced by, directed by, starring local talent. Uh, went to get right here in the studio. Mm-hmm. Every uh, other Sunday from 6 to 7, it is two back-to-back 30-minute radio dramas uh, that we do right here because we're all about the, the magic of broadcasting, Dave. Um, anyway, so there's this guy, Cable. His name is Cable Hashitani, and he's one of the voice actors. And he came in, and he, uh, he was playing a couple parts. And he there was this great... I can't believe I didn't tell the story already. He had a great nerd moment. He walked in, and you got to know that everybody who works on the radio drama, more or less, I mean, we're all just giant... You know, we're all just huge geeks. I mean, just colossal, just, you know. I mean, it's amazing that, that most of us have found women to marry us. I mean, it really is sort of <laughs> troubling in a way. But anyway, so Cable comes in, and it was like me and I think uh, Jason Crump and Aaron Duran and Webster standing there. Door opens, Cable walks in, and he's wearing the best thing we have seen all year. It's a hoodie, right? You know, the, the sweatshirt zips up the front, and it's got the hood. Yeah. Except that it's done to look like Boba Fett's armor. And so... The sleeves, the chest, the everything. It's done to look, the hoodie is made to look like Boba Fett's armor. And then here's the other thing. You really want to impress people? You can actually put the hood up, and then it zips all the way up, and it's Boba, it's Boba Fett's like the helmet in his face. Now, granted, you can't see anything, so you have to kind of stand immobile while people look at you, and you have to unzip it again. But it's a Boba Fett hoodie, which is like the most righteous thing ever. 
So that then got us onto a conversation about Mark Etko, who's this it's sort of he's this famous uh, clothing designer, and he's got a whole line of Star Wars things. Most of them are terrible. That then got us talking about footwear because they made these Freddy Krueger shoes a while back. I had heard that, they, and I was trying to impress these guys. I'm like, they got these shoes coming out. It's Darth and Boba Fett. But you're saying not so much. You're saying it's Darth and Yoda. Well, according to this, ah. um, retro to go, a guide to all things hip and retro. The black ones are Darth Vader influenced, and the lighter shade are inspired by Yoda. Well, that's just disappointing. It's not even about me being wrong. It's just now that I'm sad now. I mean, never because who wants to, 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 seriously? Who wants Yoda shoes? Who over the age of five wants Yoda shoes? Especially since they cost 150. Bones. Are there photos? Yeah, but you know, I don't know. Tell me what you think. I, well, I can't really like tell. Shoes. Yeah, I can't. No, this is apparently it's, they're supposed to have the Star Wars font. This is it's difficult. These are from Adidas. Well, Adidas did this, by the way, to counteract the fact that Nike has these Jason Voorhees shoes and these Freddy Krueger shoes. Ah. Uh, which, by the way, I've been looking for them online, and they're never available in my size. So. Anyway. What do you have, like a size fourteen? And they have a lot of like knockoff ones too, right? Because well, that's we found what, some, and there were some knockoff. Yeah, that's the ones I was trying to buy. Yeah. Because because Nike has not ever officially released them, but enough of them, enough of the sort of like demo, like the concept shoes got out, and they were immediately duplicated by wait for it the Chinese who are now selling them on eBay. Uh, and you know, don't get me wrong, they're expensive. Also, don't get me wrong, I'll pay it. Uh, but like they're just not my size. And if I'm going to pay through the ass uh, for some knockoff shoes from China mm-hmm. that are probably filled with lead and cancer and pain and death and made out of kittens <laughs> and babies, I want them to at least fit. Because otherwise you're going to get the you know bunions and that's just too much. I'm not willing to accept that. I'll support slave labor, but only if they make things that fit. Yeah, as long I'm as not going to give you plaster fasciitis. Seriously, you know what I mean? And look, I hate to say this, but even a five-year-old can tell the difference between a ten and a ten and a half. So I expect those shoes to be made properly. All right. Uh, is that the end of the Geek Watch? That's the end of the Geek Watch. There's the end of your Geek Watch. I grab Thor's hammer by the Sons of Warband. I shall avenge you. Next. Ooh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave's Schmidt Geek gives you the nose. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. In Warson Woods, Missouri, veteran, veterans, veterinarians say they found 15 pacifiers, a bottle cap, and a piece of a of a basketball in a two-year-old bulldog named Lulu. When you say in, you mean like in the stomach? Tummy. All right. Yeah. Um, Lulu's owners, David and Jennifer Swartz, said their 18-month-old daughter's pacifiers kept disappearing. They just kept buying more. Um, they noticed that the dog showed a little interest in the pacifier, so they took Lulu to the vet. And... Certainly enough, emergency surgery was performed, and out came all 15 pacifiers. Well, I mean, look, it could have been worse. That could have the dog could have shown a, a, an interest in the baby. I suppose. I mean, you yeah. know that. I mean, really, you know, thank God for small miracles. I suppose. I would think like, if a couple of pacifiers are missing, that's okay. But 15 is yeah. kind of excessive. Well, especially if you got a dog, right? Yeah, you would kind of. I mean, that would be kind of a logical conclusion because you know, dogs. You have a dog. Um, a big dog lover actually had uh, a couple oh, dogs for many, many years, had to put the last one down. Uh, you know, and here's Sorry. the thing. As soon as I asked the question, as soon as I asked that question, I remembered that we had had this conversation off the air. We'd had the conversation in the kitchen last time. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to I, be that. That's guy. okay. I have a cat that fetches, though. Yeah, but that's evil. That doesn't count. A cat is evil. Yeah. Well, it's just a black cat. Too. That's a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that. My wife and I were having this conversation last night, though, about... You know, and I know that dogs have got a brain the size of a pea. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand that. 
But the thing about the you know the puppy is like he's chewing on stuff that he's not supposed to, and he's and but of course then he won't chew on the things that he is supposed to. Hey, here's a teething toy. No, 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 I'm gonna eat this blanket from Peru. <laughs> and I'm not making that up by the way. My wife brought back this blanket from Peru, like handmade alpaca blanket. It's very warm. It looks yeah. very beautiful. It's got a great you know the aesthetic is very much of like a, a Peruvian you know. They, but that's what the dog keeps. And now he as of now. I mean, he's chewed like 15 holes in it, and it's like there's really no way you can't supervise him 24 hours a day. You can't keep him in the crate all the time. There's just nothing you can do. Yeah. He's just going to destroy stuff. But he's only destroying the things that he's not supposed to touch, and then we buy him all these dog toys of whatever varieties. doesn't like any of them. So my whole thing is, can we fool him? Can we buy something, and for a few days, Lara and I treat it like it's our very favorite possession, and then, oh, oh we've left it on the floor by mistake. Oops. Then he latches onto it, and that becomes the thing he chews. Would that work, do you think? Well, could you do, could you like rub some nice smelling food thing on it? Would that get him started, you think? Maybe. If we rub food on it, the other dog will take it, and okay. then that's going to be his thing. But I was thinking, like, maybe if, what if I bought a pair of sandals and wore them for a couple of days, then accidentally left them out, and then the dog would take them? Yeah, but then, in a way, aren't you teaching him then to go after your other shoes, too? I suppose, but then if he's always got a pair of shoes of his own right there to chew on, it's just too much work to go find new ones. He's got those right there. How fast does he go through them? Is he a big chewer? Is he... I don't know. I haven't really got a spreadsheet or anything for it. <laughs> Hello, Sarah Dillon. How are you? Hello. Very right. well. Are we breaking here? No, we're not breaking. We have, well, we have Dennis, uh, who's been waiting very patiently. Where? Oh, okay. Uh, I think now is the time that we uh, bid adieu to our lovely Dave, because he has a dentist appointment. Goodbye. Farewell. I'll feed her saying goodnight. That was awesome. <laughs> well done, Dave Schmicky. All right, you, you got to. Uh, well, go and enjoy your drilling. Oh, thank you. And I will see you next week. Absolutely, yeah? sir. We're going to see you next. Uh, what did we? Uh, Wednesday. We Wednesday. Think, we'll see you next Hot Wednesday. Dog. Sir. It's already going to be a good week next week. Yes. Uh, it gives me a reason to get up next uh, next Wednesday morning. <laughs> and maybe the black eye will be gone after your wife realizes that you told us all about the midnight Romeo story. Oh, yeah, possibly. But I just I'll just find some other way to get in trouble. You know. Uh, you know that's how it is being married. You it, just go alternate from one method of getting in trouble to another. From what I hear. If you dose her with LSD, though, there's a good eight or nine hours of orgying ahead of you. So have fun with that. Well, right. thank you. Thanks, All right. Rick. Thank Thanks, you, Sarah. Dave Schmicky. Enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend, sir. All right. Thank All right. you. Thank you. Have fun. All right. Let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show, host of uh, Miles Around Radio, which uh, airs on this very fine radio station, Saturdays 9 to noon, and Miles Around, the television program on the uh, Comcast Sports Network, uh, 1.9 skillion households. Dennis Pitsenbarger. Hello, sir. Uh, how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing uh, dandy, brother. How are you? I know that uh, yesterday, a bit of a comedy of errors. You came in last week, and I said that we felt bad because we never really, you know, didn't have any time. And then we said, well, what about a different day? What about Wednesday? Which Sarah and I confirmed it, and then Sarah and I promptly forgot. And so then yesterday, I look at the phone. And it's like Dennis Pitsenbarger calling in to be on. And I said, why? And Richie types back, because you and Sarah told him to move it to Wednesdays. And we went, oh, that's right. And then, then there was right, all on us. and then there was no time yesterday, and then you called the day at one thirty, and there was no time then. So, uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a very entertaining show today. I have to say, um, acid only lasts as long as many times you've dosed. Uh, of course, I would be, uh, you know, faulting myself or lying to myself if I haven't said. I believe it's eight times that you're legally insane. So I'm several times legally insane over. Well, that's over good. insane or overdone or overcooked, something along the lines of that. But uh, no, I, I, that was the, that part of the show is absolutely hilarious, man. I, I I can't go, I can't, uh, I can't get enough of acid talk from Richie as he giggles uncontrollably on the studio. Well, I microphone. mean, Richie is, uh, Richie really is just unbelievable. Somebody actually said at one point, 
that it's like he's like all of the best parts of Scotty J amplified without many of the drawbacks of Scotty J. You know what I mean? That's true. Uh, we didn't have to hear uh, endless uh, parades of you know bad ballads from the '80s getting played at little kids' uh, dances and dance halls. So well, and Richie that. doesn't have a wife who will eventually make him quit. So Richie. there's also that. Yeah, that's true. No, it's been it's been a cool world. You know, we uh, there's a lot of you know a lot of interesting things going on in the auto world. I mean, we'll talk about that on the weekend, but. It's uh, it's crazy that you know GM's already got their hand out for their next billion dollar payment, and they've asked for three billion. I don't think a lot of people realize that they actually turned down uh, the Canadian government, went to GM and said, hey, you know, we got three billion, we'll borrow you as long as we can have. I mean, obviously there was some undetermined list of things that they wanted from General Motors, but uh, uh, I, I thought it was interesting that they actually turned the money down. I'm sorry, I apologize for not hearing the last half of that. I, I was that guy just now. Uh, Sarah was telling me about the little uh, breaking news story that we're going to get to here in a few. Nothing nothing crucial, nothing that important. But uh, anyway, so I, I didn't, I, I, I am that guy now. I was just pretending to listen to the last sentence, and I didn't hear it. Um, I have been completely exposed in front of my peers. That's okay. I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's no difference when I'm talking on the microphone on my own show. Uh, just well, really, I'm talking and no one's listening. It was like GM and then. <laughs> no, uh, GM uh, is, is turning down money from the Canadians and asking, but yet asking for their payment from uh, from us. And I, that's why no, that's, I, that's what I really wanted to ask you about. But we had spoken earlier that you have already seen the eight eight years and eight minutes. And yeah, um, I don't know how how uh, in depth you've talked about it on your show, but it's, it, that that has got to be the best. That's the uh, Keith ever. Olbermann thing that he did about the yeah the Bush years and whatnot. You know, have you guys done this? Have you thought about this? Uh, <coughs> pardon me, I'm miles around. Have you uh, thought about just creating, writing, and then presenting uh, your own plan for saving the American economic industry or the American automotive industry? Well, actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the person who actually came up with the, the, the actual core of that plan was James, uh, you know, from KUFO and AM970 fame. I mean, that guy, he came up with the plan, which was basically why is the government being asked for billions of dollars when yet it's the oil companies? We need to sell the oil for the gasoline. So why? I mean, you're talking chocolate and peanut butter in one fell swoop. Why not have the oil companies, who obviously are the recipients of billions and trillions of dollars, you know, for, from oil exportation and import? Why don't they cough up all the money? Seriously. Also, this here's another thing you could do. You all ought to partner with that. Um, I forget what they're called. Uh, First Robotics. No, I think that was the company that made the Palm Pilot. Well, whatever. But there's, there's that Oregon Robotics uh, organization, and they get like. High school kids, college kids, whatever, dudes get together and they build their own robots and then they compete. It's not like a BattleBots thing. It's like you got to make a useful robot that, like, does a thing. You guys ought to, miles around, ought to partner with some Oregon League of Robotic Scientist guys, and you all ought to create the car of the future. Well, you know, we actually, we were thinking, if there's a video that's on, that's floating around, uh, you know, like the MySpace and Facebook and all the other places, and there's actually now races where, imagine like Ben-Hur, like the chariots, you know, with the horses and whatnot, mm -hmm. but it's a robot, it's a car that's actually towing the, the chariot around. That's what we were thinking of, of doing. But as far as designing the car, the problem with it is I believe that the performance industry is alive and well. It's just that no one's figured out that there's technology out there that can be made so everybody can get 75 miles per gallon of gas, and we won't be dependent on foreign oil, and we won't have to worry about it. I'm telling it you, man, you should make a car that runs on sand or something. This is something we don't need. You know, just find some crap we don't need that's just laying around, like uh, you know, like it runs on old, like it runs on shag carpeting from the 70s. Oh, okay. I thought you said run on spam. I was gonna say I. Uh, or that, sure. Hey, dude, you invent a car that runs on spam, you're gonna be hailed as a king. 
I, I only wish I could. I'm not that smart. I'm just a dumb car guy. All right. On that note, sir, Miles Around, 9 to noon this Saturday, and, of course, uh, Miles Around Television, uh, which is uh, Sundays at 9.30? 9 a.m. on Comcast 37, the Sportsnet channel. But also available on demand. Yes, it is. If you go, actually, and I do have to say, and our mutual friend, who is the web mistress of all time, uh, reinvented the Miles Around website. So if you go to milesaround.com, there's a portal to everything, the blog, the YouTube channel, the Facebook, the MySpace, the podcasting, all the stuff. Joni did a fantastic job of revamping that. Yeah, so Joni DeRoshi is, uh, and her, I, and the, the show, not that the show, you know, didn't look to begin with, but the, the show is really, I mean, she's, uh, she's revamped the show as well. It looks really good. So. Yeah, I, I can tell you this. She is the master of polishing a turd because, believe me, I am that turd, and every week I watch the show and I go, there is no way she made it look that good. See, these are things, you, you need a publicist so you don't say things like this. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> the show is fantastic. I am a star among many stars, and I really just have have to pee on the people below me, but it's too late. Uh, We're ending. What is the... with you and like all these body functions? We're Dennis. ending the call now. I'm sorry. And have a lovely afternoon. Goodbye. All right. Oh my God, we're almost on time. Yes, going through. Life is good. Good God. Jimmy Eat World. I love lamp. <laughs> uh, all right. Can I tell you that Laura and I went to a restaurant the other day called Lamp? Awesome. And I was like. On the way there, we both looked at each other, and we each said it once, and it, so we wouldn't say it inside of the server, who doesn't ever want to hear that again, probably. <sighs> All right. How are you, Sarah? Super. All right. Coming up uh, in this hour, Dan Hanico from uh, Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing will talk about classic, trashy novels. Uh, later on, our good friend Jen Lane will be here to spread the good word uh, and uh, so forth. Oh, and i, and I got to try to get to this Tom Savini thing, which James Robinson did his best to rescue. So we'll say that. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. The Rick Emerson Show continues. Don't go anywhere. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming by. Uh, let's see. Coming up uh, later on, oh, we got to do the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Glorious Bastard of the Week will win this fantastic Kotobukaya Star Wars Luke uh, Skywalker vs. Darth Vader 30th Anniversary Limited Edition uh, statue set. From Things from Another World, valued at $200, and it really is righteous. Uh, you can find out more TFAW, like Things from Another World, TFAW.com. Slash Rick. Oh, by the way, you go to rickemerson.com and see a picture of this. See a picture of it. It's uh, fan-freaking-tastic. Uh, James Robinson did a, uh, he did a pretty stellar job of attempting to rescue this uh, Tom Savini interview that I did this morning. So uh, I'm going to try it with everything in me to get to that today. In a worst-case scenario, I'll do it tomorrow, but I'm going to very much try to do it because I've been pimping that we we're going to do it today uh, and so forth. It's 503 733 
2970. 503-733-2970. I'm trying to see if I have the, um, I have like a Rick Emerson's book club uh, music sound. I thought you did some like soothing music. Yeah, it was like a, uh, and it was it was sort of a da 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 I don't know where the hell I think I've... Uh, Do I have it in my system? I don't know. It was... Uh, oh, no. 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 Ooh, I like that one. We never used that. That's the news pile. I think we ended up not using it because I think... Uh, why did we quit using that? Well, we'll use this. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Powell's books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Our good friend, Dan Hanako. Hello, how are you, sir? Excellent, Rick. All right. And it is Hanako. Hanako. Here's the thing. I'm never going to get that wrong again because I got it wrong once on Outlook Portland, then I felt like an ass. Rick, will you please um, be listening to our glasses discussion and get a pair of glasses like his? Those are awesome. Um, I, I think you can make them work. You just haven't found your perfect frame. We can't go to, like, some cheese ball place. Let's go to some specialty store and get you some cool glasses. Here's the thing, Sarah, about that. It's not that I want to go to a cheese ball place. I'm a big fan of going to the place that my insurance will pay for. <laughs> Sometimes, you know what? You're willing to pay, what, $400 for Freddy Krueger shoes? Shut up! You can drop a couple hundred bucks on a decent pair of spectacles. Uh, all right. Well, but what is the deal if I, uh, if my, I'm sure everybody cares about the, you know, my... I think you can get, well, my what I did health. is when I got, you know, my clear frames in Vegas. Right. I went to the place that my insurance covered and I brought my frame. In, and so your insurance can cover the lenses on the frames. So if I buy the frames first, yeah. and then I go to my optometrist, then they uh, can put in the, your prescription lenses. And then I say you. they got to fit these frames, mm-hmm. make it work, and then they'll do it. Yep. All right. That's what that, I, I'm telling you. You know, that's exactly what I did. You don't like the glasses I have. They're okay. You picked these out. I know. I picked them out like three years ago, though. Times are changing. This is going to be like the thing with my watch, where I'm not allowed to pick the same watch and use it for 30 years. That I have to get, you know, different watches. All right, that's fine. Um, well, those, are, I mean, those work. They, they work. I just don't know if they work for me. I like the white on top. I, I don't think that you think they'd work for you because you've never tried them. Maybe. I. But by the way, the glasses we're talking about are sort of a thick framed. They're not horn rimmed as such. They're not like Buddy Holly. They're kind of. Uh, what color are those, Dan? That's kind of well. The inside actually is the coolest. I like that. Kind of a cream, kind of a coffee and cream color. Yeah. The yeah. outside is. Much darker brown inside is... Would it weird you out if I put your glasses on? Not at all. All right, hold on. Let me put your glasses on. All right. Lighter on the inside too. All right, here we go. Sarah, I am now putting on... This is Radio Gold right here. If you listen very carefully, you can actually uh, you can actually hear our TSL increasing. Uh, I am now putting on eyeglasses on the radio. I, we should get a, We should get like a great thrilling music bed to accompany things that have no business being on the radio as entertainment. All right, here we go. I put them on. Sarah? I don't know. I'm not used to them, but I think that something close to that could work. Yes. Yes, I think it could work. Vote what do you yes. think, Jen? Can you see? I can't see too well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to go out on that joke. Well done. You know, the thing is, I didn't even see that coming. Alley-oop. Well done, Dan. All right. Fantastic. Your squint was what sold that, incidentally. All right. Um, so I asked Dan to come on today. Uh, Dan, of course, Powell's book, Cedar Hills Crossing, book buyer and lover of all things printy. So... You have been on Outlook Portland, which is the show I do uh, Sunday, 6.30 on the CW, uh, which is a gripping television program. And we had talked about, you know, talking about the, 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 the Portland authors and the, the, uh, uh, Beverly Cleary and Chuck Polinick and, you know, whatever. And a lot of, you know, the feathers, so many writers here in the Northwest. But it's like there's some law now that every time you talk about books in the Northwest, like you can only get about five seconds into it before you are obligated to say, and Twilight, of course, because... It's such a huge book, and then also because they filmed the first movie here. So, Twilight is one of those books, and we're not going to spend the whole thing talking about Twilight. We, we will have a point here. But Twilight is one of those books 
not unlike uh, the Da Vinci Code, and to some degree, not unlike Stephen King or Tom Clancy or probably Danielle Steele or John Grisham, where their books that, as Stephen King says, he sells uncommonly large numbers of books to uncommonly large numbers of people, many of whom are not typically thought of as being, quote, readers, end quote. Twilight, same thing. I mean, look, my wife read it. I know a lot of, I mean, and a lot of people here have read it. But I also know a lot of people who don't really read, who don't. I mean, I I know people who would tell you they haven't bought a book in 10 years. And then they bought, like, Twilight. Or they bought uh, a Hunt for Red October when that came out. Or they bought whatever. But you get these books like Twilight that they do almost instantly become this most rarefied of forms, which is the classic novel which is also just irredeemably bad. It is the classic trash novel. And don't get me wrong, Rick Emerson, I'm not a book snob. I got all kinds of crap at home uh, that I've read. I mean, I've read some of the worst books on earth, friends and neighbors, I'm here to tell you. So uh, we have asked Dan to come in and to bring us an overview of, like, five? Did you get five? Not five. I got five classic trashy novels. Sarah, favorite trashy novel. Go. I have so many. I, I love everything that Christopher Pike has ever written. Yeah. I You know I go home and I read, like, Sweet Valley High or Troop Beverly, or not Troop Beverly, Sweet Valley High or like The Fabulous Five or Babysitter's, Babysitter's Club. Club, Boxcar Children. I don't really reread Boxcar Children anymore. Is, is Christopher Pike the guy? No, that's R.L. Stein. Christopher Pike wrote like uh, Fall into Darkness and um, like Final, um, like The Last Dance and Teen Thrillers. Yes, Teen Thrillers, but like a little sexy time in them, so you felt kind of naughty when you were like <laughs> in seventh grade watching them. They're like softcore porn. What is the sexy time in those books? Could I read it on the air? Probably. Really? Yeah, do you want me to bring it? I have a couple Would that be creepy if I did that? Probably. Okay, I'll do it anyway. Okay, I'll bring it in tomorrow. Bring in one of your teenage sexy time books, sir. Okay. All right. I think I might have Final Exam, which I don't think was written by Christopher Pike, but a Christopher Pike. Not bring in something that sort of fits the fits the mold. I'll read that. Will do. All right. I mean, so yeah, you are listening to, you know, look, you're listening to a grown man uh, that probably uh, once, twice, three times a year, uh, I feel the need to reread uh, one of the Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators mysteries. So, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? So, Dan, what have you brought with us uh, to sort of uh, exemplify the okay, genre well, uh, classic trash? Keeping up with the top five format, um, I do have an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. And for trash, i got to put honorable mention the uh, dramatic works of one William Shakespeare, which was never meant to be read by anybody but actors. It was ephemeral for the moment, wide wide distribution. Crowd pleasers. Crowd pleasers uh, was meant to be read in a little handheld quattro volume. And if it wasn't for the fact that his friends got together years after he died and put him in a big book, we would have forgot about him. Let me ask you this, because I don't know a whole lot about about uh, the learning and the so forth. So I got, uh, first, three things. One, right now, you know what's great? Is, like, in a totally believable way, though, you just now became that teacher in the movie who's, like, going to teach these. Let me tell you about another rebel. Let me tell you about somebody else who was banned by the man. And then it becomes like you're talking about Beethoven, or in this case, Shakespeare. But you were like totally believable. Also, how do I put this? I know this is a heretical question. All things being equal, is Shakespeare really overrated? You can I be can't, honest. I can't say it. Uh, but I mean, you know what <gasps> you I... know the answer, but you're... No, no, I can't say it. I could not okay. say he's overrated. I... Look, I'm from Klamath Falls. Right. They would put me on a bus and take me to Ashland, and that was magic. You okay, know? fair I, enough. I just loved it. You right. Know? So that's how I roll. I mean, I guess I'm not saying he's bad, but I guess my thing is if, you're, if your point is that his like his books were, in other words, Shakespeare was meant to be very widely consumed. It was mainstream fare. Right. 
um, then I, you know, I, part of me wonders, though, is it like, is it just because, as you said, his work survived that therefore, by definition, it became you know, there was the, actually a guy named Elijah Wald wrote a great book a couple years ago called Escaping the Delta, which is about uh, it's about uh, the evolution of blues in America. And he has the conceit of the book, which he makes a good case for, is really fascinating because everybody talks about Robert Johnson and Robert Johnson, who is, you know, considered the most crucial blues man who ever lived and whatever. And I don't know if that's true or not, but he makes a great point that Robert Johnson was not bad, but there was any number of guys that were like Robert Johnson, sometimes better. And that it is just of these quirks of fate that Robert Johnson's recording survived and then fell into just the right series of hands and they became disproportionately famous. And I sometimes wonder if that's true of Shakespeare. I would say that which you look at that survived, I think he's better than Christopher Marlowe. Marlowe is good, you know, Dr. Faustus. Um, but just the amount of words the guy made up on the fly that we use every day to this, to this moment, um, he might have made up on the fly. Uh, sort of thing he would do. Uh, I got to give him, I got to give him a certain amount of credit. All right, there you and, go. and I just called him trash. <laughs> well, you know, but it's done with love in the right way. All right, so what is the actual top five here on your classic okay. trash list? Start off with Harlequin Romance. Yeah, four thousand titles since 1949, and uh, the interesting thing about Harlequin Romance is there are different imprints, so you could have sweet or sexy, and no surprises. Mm -hmm. You knew exactly what you were going to get when you opened the box. Exactly, because yeah. you're reading sweet or sexy. You're not going to get, oh, my God, there's sexy with my sweet. <laughs> That's never a problem here. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. My wife and I were at a thrift store of some kind. I think we were in Utah, of all places. And we were, like, looking at an old bookstore. You know, one of those great old bookstores that smells, like, all moldy and, you know, whatever. And sometimes there's just crap. Sometimes you find something interesting. And my wife actually bought, because she'd never really read one, she bought an actual Harlequin romance, like, from the Harlequin Publishing Company. Um from like 1965 or something, and it was terrible, terrible, terrible. I mean, I know it goes without saying, but God damn, it was awful. It was one of the most badly written things I've ever read. But, but then you realize that they've sold, as you said, 4,000 titles, and that's just the number of actual titles exactly. there. I mean, they probably sold billions of books Yeah, at this and they're point. still writing them. Good for them. Well, you know, I'm for whatever gets people to read. Excellent. Harlequin romances, all of them. What else do we have? Okay, number four, Valley of the Dolls, which is a fantastic book. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, well, can I look at that one? Valley of the Dolls. Um, I kind of, I, I, I kind of had a problem with the trash when I was reading it. It mm -hmm. didn't seem all that trashy. I think that uh, part of what what leads it to its reputation is it does make a point that uh, if you're a woman and you're ambitious, you're going to get into pills and you're yeah. going down. Uh, I do really like the idea that one of the women took took up with a a man named Tony Poehler, a singer, and. Um, a lot of its trash reputation, though, I think, comes from the movie that followed Beyond totally. the Valley of the Dolls, right. which kind of took all those elements, uh, doomed female success pills, and turned it up a little bit. Uh, Russ Meyer and Robert, Rod, Roger, Roger Ebert. Ebert. Yeah. The other thing about Valley of the Dolls, the book, and then, of course, Valley of the Dolls movies, which had uh, the white-hot Patty Duke in it, by the way, uh, also, um, um, uh, uh, oh, Jesus, for the love of God, Manson. Um, Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate is in Valley of the Dolls, the movie, and really leaving, stripping away all the morbidity of it, just gorgeous. Just was a gorgeous woman. But um, Valley of the Dolls, the novel, became infamous because it was a, uh, I believe it, I believe the term is Romanacle, which is where it is a thin, it's like primary colors. Valley of the Dolls, Jacqueline Suzanne was writing thinly veiled 
versions of real life actresses. So if you read, so it was a kind of a parlor game. When you read Valley of the Dolls, ooh, so and so is so and so is supposed to be Lana Turner. Ooh, you know, so and so I think is Ava Gabor. Uh, so and so I think is supposed to be Marilyn Monroe. And so when you read Valley of the Dolls, everybody was kind of trying to figure out who was she really writing about, uh, which is. You know, and, in, and it's kind of tame now, but boy, is it trashy and pulpy and just uh, reprehensible in some ways. And I mean that with in the best possible sense. So, excellent. Okay, number three, the Gore books. Now, the Gore books, surprisingly popular, have been out of print for 20 years. And this is Gore, G-O-R. Yes, uh, it's a, a science fiction series for young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, could best be described as... Conan on a planet of slave girls. I like what I'm hearing. <laughs> and this right. is as trashy as it gets. I mean, uh, So is it sort of like, are they possessed of large grapefruit-like breasts? Yes. Uh, excellent. All right. Well, I mean, because I mean, anything else, it's just be unacceptable. Yeah, and uh, there's at least 20 of them. Uh, when I was at my store, to pick an example, there was only one on the shelf. Oh. So they have sold without prom- promotion for 20 years. Well, you know, that's the uh, that's the power of the Rick Emerson audience right there. Yeah. Where's that book about the guy with the slave girls? Yeah, give me uh, all of those. Me, I probably sold some more right now. Good for you. But, uh, yeah. You... And, and so his name is Gore. I mean, what is he doing on the planet of the slave girls? I mean, other than Well, hunting. Gore is the name of the planet. Ah, I see. And, okay. Um, and basically, Gore is the counter-Earth that is always revolving just on the other side of our sun, and we cannot see it. Mm-hmm. And on Gore, men are men, and women are slave girls, and... There you go. I uh, can I just see that for a moment here. Hold on, I'm gonna look at this. This is oh, this is fantastic. All right, let's see. So this is um, Beasts of Gore, the twelfth book in the saga of Tarl Cabot. By the way, this is a thing that you never see in any other genre, where they will not only tell you what number it is in the series, but it's not just the number in the series. It is the number book inside a series inside a series. So like you will read like. You know, this, so it would be like, uh, you know, what is this? This is called, uh, you know, the the Dilanthium Peril, book twelve of the, you know, Johnny, uh, you know, the uh, book twelve of the Johnny Zykserks series of the Stephen R. Donaldson Thomas Crump, you know, Covenant novels within the series of, and then it just goes on and on and on. So this is Beasts of Gore, the twelfth book in the saga of Tarl Cabot by John Norman. I'm just going to read the back here. On Gore. The other world in Earth's orbit, the term beast can mean any of three things, Sarah. First, there are the Kurai, the monsters from space who are about to invade that world. Second, Sarah, there are the Gorian warriors, men whose fighting ferocity is incomparable. Third, Sarah, there are the slave girls, who are both beasts of burden and objects of desire. All three kinds of beasts come into action in this thrilling novel as the Curry established their first beachhead on Gore's polar cap. Here is a John Norman epic that takes Tarl Cabot from the canals of Port Carr to the taverns of Lydius, from the tents of the Sardar Fair and to a grand climax among the red hunters of the Arctic ice pack. Pack, pack, pack. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the beasts of Gore. That's wonderful. That's, I remove, okay, I, seriously, opening to a random, random page here. Um, let's see. I thrust her before me toward the whipping platform, which I ordered to remain intact. What are you going to do? She asked. Tarnsman, I said, will soon be here, will they not? Yes, she said angrily. 
she says again in the space of two sentences. I thrust her up the steps onto the platform. You are going to serve the priest kings, my pretty little charmer, I told her. And then, wait for it. I removed the tether from her throat, and, bringing it between her legs and before her, tossed it through the ring on the crossbeam. I... Is this really, is he really just stringing up a woman so she can serve the priest kings of Tardor? That's just a great book. All right, there you go. Kids, the joy of reading. Incarnate, Beasts of Gore. Uh, we're here with Dan Hanako from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Classic trash. What are our next books, Dan? Flowers in the Attic. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It doesn't get any better than that right there. And I, by the way, I will admit right to you in front of God and everybody. I read Flowers in the Attic and I read its two sequels, Petals on the Wind and Thorns of Yesterday. Eat that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't give a rip. I've, I've read all three of them. So, well, go. the interesting thing about Flowers in the Attic, which um, I think most people know, is about a young siblings incesty locked in the attic. Yes, things happen. Um, the interesting thing is about the V.C. Andrews books is I, I've noticed that oftentimes the people who are buying them and selling them back to me are really well-adjusted looking. Young ladies, mm -hmm. uh, this is sort of a walk on the wild side. They're not, they're not gothed up. You know, you would never guess that this morbid stuff is the stuff that they are they're reading. Here's the thing about flowers in the attic too. I could just I, look. I can talk about flowers in the attic forever because it's just uh, the whole thing is fascinating to me. But you know, uh, Virginia Andrews, who wrote Flowers in the Attic, she wrote that novel and then she pitched it. And they didn't want a woman's name on it because they felt that it was inappropriate for a lady to have written, and they wanted to get a wider audience. So they're like, no, 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 you're not Virginia. You're V.C. So they called her V.C. Andrews. She writes Flowers in the Attic. She writes the first sequel, and then she dies halfway through the third book. And then her family, not wanting to let a gravy train go, uh, you know, they know a good thing when they see one. Her family then goes out hires a guy named Andrew Niederman to come in. And, cr and so everything after the second V.C. Andrews novel... It's all written by a guy named Andrew Niederman, who is most famous for writing the movie uh, The Devil's Advocate with uh, Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. I mean, it's just it's and he writes his own novels that no one buys, by the way. Nobody buys any of his own stuff. They all buy his stuff that he writes as V.C. Andrews. I'm sorry to be the hijack the conversation by V.C. Andrews talking. Well, the other thing I, I read about Mr. Niederman's interesting is uh, he has this nickname, the man who eats cats for some interview he gave National Geographic when he started praising the culinary recipes of... Maybe it's because uh, like Man God of Gore was already taken exactly. or something. But final note about this on V.C. Andrews, A, all of V.C. Andrews' novels, they all follow exactly the same pattern. I mean, there at some point there will be a rich family that has to live like a poor family, and then there's two siblings who are secretly humping it out like when nobody's, when nobody's looking. But um, also... Is that band, the Dresden Dolls? The Dresden Dolls take the, they take their name from uh, they take their name from V.C. Andrews. The Dresden Dolls are named after um, uh, the fact that in the Flowers of the Attic, the Dollinganger kids are always referred to as my little Dresden Dolls, and that's where they get that from. Finally, this: if you look at a, an Andrew Niederman novel, the guy who actually is V.C. Andrews, if you look at Andrew Niederman's novels and then you look at a V.C. Andrews novel on the shelf. V.C. Andrews always recommends that you read this Andrew Niederman novel. Andrew Niederman always recommends that you read this V.C. Andrews novel, which is a nice little thing to... Uh, I should create an alternate persona that does nothing but rave to the press about how great Rick Emerson is. Excellent. Fantastic. All right, so Dan Hanekow has been counting down classic trash novels for us. What is number one, sir? Well, number one, and this is by far, after where we've been, is not the trashiest book, but I think that it is the most influential of the books that we got here. It's Peyton Place by Grace Metallius, and uh, it's a... Uh, 
small New England town who she enraged. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the people that she lived with basically did not like this uh, book being written. Uh, it covers the themes of class, hypocrisy, incest, abortion, suicide, lust, and murder. Excellent. And uh, it is that mix that was injected into, I think, the daytime soap in the 1960s. There was a patent mm -hmm. place, and after that, in the uh, 70s and 80s, you started getting the nighttime soaps that kind of picked up the same themes. Um, to this day, Desperate Housewives, Peyton Place, real similar stuff in a different package. And Peyton Place was, I think, billed as it was the book that lifts the lid off of a respectable New England town or something exactly. like that. And they um, literally banned her from being buried in the church, really? church uh, graveyard. I didn't know that. They relented. But... Uh, while she was still alive, said, "Don't even try being buried here." Because I think Peyton Place, I think it's it was pretty well known, <coughs> no, well known, or at least found out that Grace Metallius based most of the characters in Peyton Place on people in her town, exactly, who did not really appreciate the fact that this best-selling book that depicted the town as this hotbed of sin and depravity that it was based on them and people she knew. Um, she did a pretty fascinating interview with Mike Wallace at one point, uh, way back before 60 Minutes. He used to do a show called Night Beat. And it was Mike Wallace, you know, talking about the issues of the day while chain-smoking cigarettes. It was pretty great. And he interviews Grace Metallius, who was not a very bright woman. And she kind of cranked out this book, but she wasn't really, wasn't really a learned woman. And there's this great exchange that kind of shows you where she's come from. Mike Wallace says, I have to tell you, I read your book, Peyton Place, and I didn't find it to be all that well written. In fact, I found it rather trite, and I would say, I'm overly melodramatic potboiler. And there's this long silence, and she just kind of goes... Oh. Oh. Okay. And <laughs> literally, that's it. And then they just like go to commercial. Nothing else. Nothing else to say. So that really is Peyton Place is the book, though. You're right. From which all other scandalous books of that nature spring. And without Grace Metallius, there would probably be no Wisteria Lane. So uh, duly noted. And all of these books, of course, available at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Isn't that right, Dan Hanico? That is right. All right. Well, as Powell's.com. All right. Thank you for coming in and letting me give Rick an example of good glasses. Thanks. All right. Dan, see you now. See you there. It's a win-win-win for everybody. <laughs> By the way, the next time you're here, you know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about men's adventure novels. You just file that away. That's what we're going to do next time. All right. Dan Hanico, ladies and gentlemen, from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Back after this with our good friend Jen Lane. Uh, like us at 3. Like us 101 at 5. Michael Maris Show at 7. And Phil Hendry tonight at 11 p.m. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Emerson Radio Program, 503-733-2970. And I think we're obligated to uh, to read it, if nothing else, because that's the reason that I had to tell Dennis Spitzenberger, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening to the last 30 seconds you were saying. Sarah was telling me some breaking news. Now we have to, because otherwise I will have ignored uh, Dennis. That isn't that big. For nothing. That noteworthy. Would you like to wait? Hold on, let me find my breaking news sounder, and then wait. we'll read it. Wait. I'm trying to wait. find it. Wait. I haven't found it I'm going to play the breaking news sounder any moment now. Any second now. Any second. Okay, here we go. Okay, the bitter dispute over Heath Ledger's $10 million life insurance policy has been settled. Uh, they stuck, they struck a deal between Star Life Insurance Company and the lawyer representing Matilda Rose. 
Pete's daughter and beneficiary, TMZ Brooklyn, story that the insurance company was stalling because it had questions as to whether his death might have been suicide. Reliastar Star also maintained Ledger had lied on his insurance application that said he never used illegal drugs. The company felt both issues could void the policy. Terms of the settlement. <laughs> okay, terms of the settlement are confidential. Seriously? Seriously? TMZ sent me a breaking news thing, and terms of the settlement are confidential? She's Sarah Dillon, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh... You made me. I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yes, you did. No, I didn't. You just didn't want to talk about that story. You wanted... No, because we were talking about something else, and then we were both just not listening to Dennis Pitsenbarger, and then you put it on me and for the breaking like news. You're ignoring me now, too. You wanted to, uh, you wanted to read the story that Fail. TMZ promised you, not the story that TMZ sent you. You wanted, to, you wanted to read the story that it looked like that was going to be, not the story it actually was. Damn you, Never-ending TMZ. TMZ story. Mm. Seriously, it just goes on and on. Okay, I need to find the email TMZ sent me. <laughs> Heath Ledger life insurance case settled. The bitter dispute over Heath Ledger's 10 million life insurance policy has settled. Find out details here. And the details are, in fact, <laughs> see, that's the story you wanted to read. The story you actually got was that the details are somewhere, but not here. Thank you for the click or through. For anybody except right. for the family. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Jen Lane joining us. Hello, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm Long fantastic. So uh, I just got done talking about flowers in the attic, so that's always a good day. Yeah, that was exciting. Yeah. So glad I'm an only child. Uh, because of the incesting. I've and never so read forth. flowers. No, it's in the attic. I never read it either. Really? Oh, yeah. you got to read flowers in the attic. It really is unbelievable. Well, first of all, it's not. I mean, it has this sort of horrible reputation because it was just banned Isn't by school. Isn't that for like 12-year-olds? No, nah, it's for anybody who enjoys a good pot boiler, ah. Jen, Jen Lane. I um, do love Peyton Place. Big See, fan. Peyton Place is unbelievably tame compared to its reputation. Yeah. Um, but it's almost all of those books. So great. It's one of my favorite movies, too. Peyton Place. Um, the Flowers in the Attic is a movie as well. And, um, Don't see that. Though. Yeah. Okay. Well, you would skip that. And uh, Valley of the Dolls. Valley of the Dolls. Uh, Daddy Duke. In the movie, anyway, it has like my, one of my favorite lines ever. It's like, I want to strap you on and wear you around for a while. <laughs> it And it also has the, um, I think it also has the line, the... Uh, that whore is more of a woman than you'll ever yeah. be. Yeah. And Roger Ebert can write. Now, see, but that's flat. Now, that's beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh, beyond? that's what I mean. Yeah. You know, oh, wait, so we're talking about, you're talking about the yeah, Russ Meyer one with all the right, big yeah, boobed like women? Yeah. No, no, no. Now, the original well, Valley. I do enjoy the other one, too. The actual, the original Valley of the Dolls is great because it's all uh, just yeah, like. Yeah, Sharon Tate in it. Sharon Tate, Patty Duke, and it's all uh, just like drug abuse and repressed homosexuality. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, and uh, so forth. And it's like very much echoes of Showgirls as well. I recommend it strongly. Is it better? I mean, not that Showgirls is terrible because, of course, it's wonderful, but is it better than Showgirls? Uh, I don't know. They're two different things. Here's the thing about Showgirls is that it, Showgirls is, which I legitimately love Showgirls, I really do, but it also is pretty awful in many ways. The thing about Valley uh, of the Dolls is that Valley of the Dolls, just by dint of being older, has now extra layers of camp that have accrued like anything from a different era. So it's got a lot, like it's got a lot of the square lingo uh, and so forth. You know, it's like the Hepcat dialogue that kind of ages pretty pretty badly. Um, don't they? Don't the gays do kind of a Rocky Horror thing with that every once in a while? Like, you know, Valley of the Dolls. Valley like of the, the Dolls. Theater and you well, know, really kind of act it out. It can't only be Mommy Dearest, Jen. You've got to <laughs> got to branch <laughs> out every now and again. Awful. I mean, it's good, but it's. Yeah. Oh, Mommy Dearest? Yeah. yeah. Did you ever read um, Did you ever read Mommy Dearest mm -hmm. by Christina Crawford? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, she's but even worse. She's an unstable woman. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm just saying. Uh, you know, anyway. Anywho, hello, Jen Lane. Hello. All right, so what are you up to these days? Well, 
am I'm still employed by uh, my awful boss, me. Um, but <laughs> Firefly, PDX.com is awesome. Her we're actually doing okay. Driver. She's working constantly. We're actually, yeah, we're actually doing okay. Um, our business uh, has really revived itself online, and thanks to my hardworking partner, partner, Mr. Kyle Ritter, and the Barfly bus is doing okay too. It's a little bit slow. Sarah actually just did. Year, it's always a little slow. You did actually. I spent, yeah, I spent my New Year's Eve on a Barfly yeah, bus. and uh, you're going to be doing one of our St. Patrick's Day bus tours, right? Hosting with the mosting. I. Think perhaps that was be. that was spoken of when we were deep in our cup. Yeah, that was that yeah. was when we were a little drunk. Is this I was, was like, going to yeah. see if you wanted to be my uh, my hot date for the uh, Love Stinks Let's Drink bus on Valentine's Day. <gasps> I'm going to see Murder City Devils that night. Yeah. Is this one of those things yeah. where you're going to produce her scrawled signature yeah. on a contract? <laughs> like, don't you remember no, signing no, this? As soon as I saw the person who did, the, did our bus on on New Year's Eve, I'm just like, oh, that looks. I'm well, like, I don't think she could do it. I've asked her several times if she'd like to host. You know, I know I get a little stage fright though because I'm like in front of all those people. But as soon as I saw it happening, I'm like, oh. I Byron be Beck's going to do one for me. Byron is yeah. well? I'm kind of put, having my own little put-the-media-to-work party. Sarah can be uh, much more shy and retiring than people think, depending on <laughs> oh, the situation. Oh, she's going to be great at it. I'll have my flask yeah. with me. I'll be okay. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Makes money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, anyway, so, I like, we've got, what is it, the big... The big game. The big game. Uh, yeah, the big game. And then um, I prepared what I'm going to call the booze report, which is going to be a new feature on BarfliPDX.com. And perhaps here as well. And the booze report consists of... The booze I mean, report consists of booze news you can use. Excellent. Oh, give us some samples. I mean, what is there other than give pour, drink, repeat? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Uh, first of all, in local bar news, um, you know, in that uh, shooting spree downtown, uh, one of Kell's managers caught a bu- bullet. Um, it's Brad Yost, who's been mm-hmm. the manager there forever. He's reportedly doing very well, recovering nicely. And according to the Kell's employee I spoke to... Um, the bullet was described as having missed everything important. Well, that's good. Yes. I'll, I'll settle so for that if I ever get shot. Yeah, in the past. And on a side note, Wikipedia already has a 2009 Portland nightclub shooting page. Well, I found really? That well, that's just efficiency is what that is. That's just a little unnerving is what that yeah. is. <laughs> that's like when you, uh, you know, it is the fact that they have a page uh, for 2009 uh, nightclub shootings. That's kind of like when you copyright something and they give you a copy of it back and it's got author's name, Rick Emerson. Author's date of birth, 1973. Author's date of death, blank. But it's like they're, they're planning for it. Like you know that someday you're going to be in the file clerk's inbox and he'll be going. Do you think somebody's already got an obit going for you? 2012. Probably we should have people send them in. Or is that too morbid? <laughs> That's for a you? great idea, Sarah. No, you wanted to write our own obituaries. I think it, that wasn't that far. I off. think we've actually circled around this idea several times about preparing our own obituaries. No, that's just too creepy. I don't know. If I'm, but is that like that dream of being secretly at your own funeral with like Tom say? Sawyer? I think. Well, I think the theory was that we didn't want to leave it to like amateurs uh, to write uh, our, yeah. our obituaries. We wanted to get the facts straight, or at least our own uh, incredibly our own, in, our own <laughs> inaccurate version of the facts ready before you know. In addition to his love of children, uh, Rick Emerson cured polio and so forth. You know, because otherwise it's otherwise it's just going to be the you know egocentric guy. Blah 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 blah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Maybe they should be like wiki tuaries. Wiktuaries. Wik. Something. Wiki, wiki, wiki. But we're so like you could. Ooh, you know what? There ought to be. Oh, never mind. I'm going to save that idea and trademark that later. Never mind. I had a great idea. I'm not even going to say that. All right. So what else is in the booze okay, news that one can see. use? Um, this is good news if you still have a white collar job and or are staring down the barrel of forty like myself. Uh, according to a British study, uh, professionals, men and women, more likely to drink than the working class, and professional women, twice as likely to get wasted on a regular basis. No, I than can see that. I've been in parts. 
Well, that's, I mean, but that's like the college students who are always the most likely to binge. drunk girls like the macaroni grill and their mini skirts and Cosmos. And then listen to this. It also showed that the mature in the 40 to 60-year-old age group are just as likely to binge drink as youngsters just as often. So really, one need not Versus lose one's Britain, punch. Where things are definitely more Some of my favorite stuff. drinking buddies around the age of 40. So uh, age, well, yeah. age doesn't have to <laughs> strip you. Uh, in particular, are you? No, age doesn't have to <laughs> deprive you of your edge. You can remain, you know. You you can remain devoted to your favorite pastime well into middle age. Lovely. All right. I'm just trying to like paint it positive. I'm trying sure, to. We've talked a lot about drinking. Glass half full or entirely empty is the case maybe <laughs> I suppose. So. Uh, trying to scrape a few pennies together. Um, and as your bush is taking the bush out of the garden, uh, they've decided to stop all free sampling of their fine products at Bush Gardens, the theme parks. So now there's absolutely no reason to go there. Now what is the uh, what is that theme park? Bush Gardens, there's several. They're mostly on the East Coast. But is it like a, is it like a Disneyland thing or something? Yeah. Really? Yeah, but... Um, it's like a beer thing. beer, Disneyland. but now there's no free beer there. It's kind of oh, like I can't Disneyland believe I never went to beer Disneyland. Disneyland. It's a beer-themed... I'm so, I'm so confused. Are we breaking here? Yeah, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that we were so behind. I just... Hey, we're so behind. I was enjoying myself, and then... So that crept up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, we ran for second. That's the technical term. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. With full force. Uh, all right, we now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming by. Uh, join us tomorrow when our guests will include Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com and. Ah, I've done it again. What? Dorothy Carcassari. Dorothy Carcassari and. Legendary horror makeup artist Tom Savini. We will get that interview done tomorrow. See, this is that's the danger with pre-taping, by the way, uh, is that I can always go, well, that happened tomorrow. Also, James had to fix it because I recorded it poorly and the audio sounds like ass. So, But you know what? We're going to make up for it with content. Okay. Jen Lane, so the website is? It's barflypdx.com. I had two more brief notes in the booze report. If you yeah, like. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, uh, Hennessy has introduced a cognac uh, 44, Hennessy 44 in honor of Obama. And so it's a hot collectible item you might want to pick up, um, get your Obama on. And it comes with a black capsule. Not sure what that is. Uh, that's but... for when you've been captured but don't want to give up secrets about where the warheads are. <laughs> no. I... no. No, no, I weighed that for a moment and then. That is uh, what might be termed an unacceptable double entendre, Sarah Dillon. I hate the unacceptable ones. I hate well, things. Well, people on the Internet heard that. Oh, yeah. If you, yes, yes, they did. Hello, I'm looking at you out there. All right, excellent. And you have barfly buses, right? We do, yeah. We've got the Love Stinks on uh, Valentine's Day and then uh, St. Patrick's Day, of course. And if cool. somebody wanted to do a sign-up for that, how easy is it, Barflybdx.com or barflybus.com. Bam. All right. Where are we in uh, terms of time? About 30 seconds left. I can't believe you guys stepped on my punchline. Oh, I didn't step uh, on it. I no, just didn't all air enjoyed it. it. <laughs> I laughed heartily, and then I believed it. There you go. I thought you were going for the crickets with that one. I didn't see the dump button. No, 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 no. That's uh, that was a you know what it is. That was a verb followed by a noun in a way that our good friends oh, at the now FCC I see. How that might be see? see what I'm talking about there? Yeah. See also like half the Michael Jackson jokes I've had to believe over the years. So yeah. I e. All the humor that. What's the difference radio has been deprived. What do Michael Jackson and Tuna Fish have in common? They both. Then there you go. And that's why I have to bleep those as well. So there you go. Thank you. Uh, thank you, the man, for that. All right, Jen Lane, thank you for joining us. Looking lovely as always. Uh, also, Dan Hanico from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Uh, also, Dennis Pitts and Barker from Miles Around. Also, somebody else? I don't remember. Well, there you go. Oh, 
Scammer them. Rich Emerson Show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970 The Talker. In the newsroom, Dave Schmidt, King on the phones. Uh, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. We also want to thank CNN Radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins and Steve Castamount. Tomorrow, uh, Tom Savini, as well as um, the guy that you just told me like five seconds so ago. Off. Jesus. Well, you know, all of that. Play it back in your head later. Uh, like us next, Michael Maris Show at 7. Phil Hendry tonight at 11 p.m. Thank you for listening. Be safe. See you all tomorrow. Bye now. Ma, 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 ma.